0: Talk about the game, Sam. So cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Sam Monson here again. Still no Steve, uh, if you've been watching the uh, Twitter account, you'll see Steve's busy in Palm Beach golfing hmm. and uh, it's not going too well from what i can tell but well, you sh- you showed me of him of
1: golfing with clubs that f- were for children
0: yeah well no they're not for children they're he, for regular sized
1: human he beings. he just makes him look like it's exactly. for children okay well we need to get the guy well, he needs to like duct tape two of those clubs just on top of each other or yeah. something you know yeah he does
0: anyway more takes like that brought to us by Trevor Sickerman hello, joining, joining the show today. Newly uh, fresh off your TV superstar debut appearance <laughs> on GMFB. <laughs> They're our competition, you know, because on Monday we go, we go head-to-head with uh, Good Morning Football.
1: Do, what are you are you saying like time slot? Mm, well yeah. well you didn't have me on that time slot. So no, that's, no,
0: no. yeah. That's we, kinda you know, that's kinda on you guys. One off is fine. I'm just saying that usually there are competitions. So okay. I'm well, not sure I had a
1: feeling. Look, like if that. you if you would have invited me on the Monday show, it would have taken you guys to show over them, but you didn't invite me. I don't it's know what's done.
0: Anyway, you are uh co host, how do we phrase this? Co host of yeah. NFL Stock Exchange. Indeed. Fastest growing podcast <laughs> west of the uh no, we're not even west of the Mississippi
1: <laughs> east of the Mississippi. Yeah, are we west or east? East, right? Oh, we got to be east. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think. I just I'm Irish. You're we're the guys. We're eastern time zone. Yeah, so yeah. I've never had to say that about. I'm from like Tampa and Charlotte. And they're so like, it's always, always been eastern. extremely easy. Right. So I just say east of the Mississippi. But
0: yeah. Um, so you're a great person to come on and talk draft. We had Mike Renner on yesterday giving us all his takes. And now it's your turn.
1: Well, hopefully, I don't blow it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, how i approach everything in life I like hopefully it. i don't blow up i like <laughs> it um uh,
0: but first we got to hit the uh the western and southern talk the Presenting sponsors there, the big plaque on the wall. Mm. Um, the PFF NFL podca- podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning on starting a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at WesternSouthern.com. Forward slash pff. So before we get into any of the draft stuff, I want to get your take on Baker Mayfield breaking his silence, uh, yes, giving an interview. Yes. Um, and look, we've talked a lot about Baker Mayfield on this podcast, so I think my opinion on him is fairly well known. But I want to hear what you thought of that whole interview thing.
1: Well, I didn't I didn't listen to the whole interview. I kind of just saw the bits and pieces of the quotes that everybody else saw on social media that right. he were obviously the most buzzworthy things, he said. So I don't have full context. But look, I think that if you just do a 10,000-foot view or whatever, certainly Baker did not handle everything. Perfectly when he was with Cleveland, even before this past off season. Like I think that him playing as hurt as he did, like I I, I get it, man. You are you are trying to gut it out for the team, but you have to also realize that. It was actively hurting both you and what the organization was trying to do, you playing that hurt. And I just think that even going back a little further with... Isn't that on somebody else, though, other than Baker? I think that it's... We talk about that all the time. Like, it's it's supposed to be the coach's job to save the players from themselves, right? But or an agent. Or, you know, there's, there's a lot of people there that, whose job it is to look after the player. Because play, it's like
0: the concussion stuff, right? The player's always going to want to go out. Right. Somebody's job is to stop him from hurting himself by saying, you know, no, like, sit down. You're not you're not
1: going back out. We're right. taking your helmet away, and you're not going back out in the field because you just got nailed in the head. And the agent part it has been the most confusing part to me the whole time. It's like, this dude's actively losing money for himself and for you and guys for you. and for everything, and I just, I, I never really understood how that was going to be the best move. The only way that was going to get better is if, His shoulder really started to feel better as the season went on. They made the playoffs, happened to win a game in the playoffs, and then you go, wow, look at what he did when he was hurt. Then I get it. You slingshot yourself into a big contract because you play the what-if imagination game, but I don't know. Look, I think Baker Mayfield can be a good quarterback in the NFL. Now, when I say good quarterback, I'm kind of also tapping into one of the arguments that we're seeing on Twitter this morning where it's like Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, those kinds of quarterbacks. That's what I think Baker Mayfield can be like. Baker Mayfield to me, what he can be is Derek Carr, and I also I don't think Derek Carr is bad. Like I think Derek Carr can get you to the playoffs. Maybe not in the AFC West because it's right. it, the greatest division in football. But like if he were in a different situation, like if Derek Carr would have had this Raiders team in the NFC North or something, or the, or the, the the NFC East, I I think that he makes the playoffs, and I think that we talk about him as a good quarterback, but. People, because he went number one overall, because he's very outgoing, because he is Baker Mayfield, they want him to be this... Greatest quarterback in the NFL, and I I don't think he's ever going to be that. I don't think he's ever going to compare to those elite guys. I think he can be good, and that's where I still stand with him. I still think that he should have a chance to start in the NFL. Shoot, if Carson Wentz over here going for two third round picks, like how is Baker Mayfield not getting moved? That's kind of where I'm at.
0: It's worth pointing out that those guys that we're going to be comparing Baker Mayfield to the Kirk Cousins, the Derek Carrs, the Carson Wentz, the Matt Ryan's now, like that that group of guys, they're all still getting paid, right? Like nobody is going, nobody is though everybody is sort of arguing for it, nobody is taking them up on the offer to be like, no, that guy's done, time to move on and go get the rookie. Right? They're all re-upping them. They're all signing them to the, the giant extension, in Derek Carr's case, the Kirk Cousins fully guaranteed deal. They're trading for Carson Wentz. They're trading for Matt Ryan. Like People are going after those quarterbacks, even though we're fairly confident right now that those guys exist in this band of like, Eight to fifteen. QB eight to fifteen. Did
1: you see what he said about the Colts? Because I saw a little quote about the Colts, but I didn't see the full thing. I don't know Baker, if you did. No. Yeah. He said something about the Colts, and he he had I think he had talked about when he wanted to go to Indianapolis and Indianapolis choosing Matt Ryan over Baker Mayfield. I get it in a vacuum of short term, right? Mm-hmm. I think I, I think everybody at this point would take Matt Ryan for next season over Baker Mayfield, but like how much left does Matt Ryan have in the tank? Right, no, so you're, you're going to basically be in this exact same situation, and I think I, I don't know if it's brilliant or if it's killing his career from Chris Ballard, but he will not commit to a long-term quarterback. He
0: won't. I, I think they're also in this situation now where you, you almost can't, right? Like you've made this sort of you've put your you've put your backs against the wall to the point where now you need you need it now. So you almost That can't. is how
1: the roster is built yeah. for sure.
0: So you you have to you have to grab the guy that's going to give you the best chance next year because you might if you screw it up and you go for a quarterback that's best long to medium term but next year he's going to go like next year might not be as good. You don't have that, particularly
1: now in the AFC. Yeah, you but don't how, have that room. Yeah, but how much of a winning window do we think the Colts are really in? I don't know. I, like, I, th- I think the Colts are a good team, but you lose Matt Eberflus, right? And <laughs> I think the roster again is is good, and certainly with them coming from the AFC South, they have a chance to just win the division and get in the playoffs. But like, Colts versus Chiefs, Colts versus Chargers, Colts versus Bills, you know, Colts versus Bengals, Ravens at their best, you know, like who who, who are we taking here? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that the Colts are probably a middle-of-the-pack team. So how, is Matt Ryan going to get better? Right. It's kind of my thing. And and bringing this all back to Baker, it's basically like, do the Colts just want to win and get to the point where they go, okay, all right, we, we made the playoffs. We got we got one and done. We got bounced. We, we, we made it into the playoffs. But, like, hey, at least we made it. Like, we're good. Or do they, the they want to shoot for the Stars? Because they want to shoot for the Stars – I thought they would have been a little bit more interested in Baker, but well, so the other thing, uh, maybe that just goes to show what the league thinks about Baker.
0: Uh, yeah, the other thing I think that plays into that, and it's probably what is probably relevant to this interview, is if the stuff that came out about Carson Wentz, you know, after he was traded, the kind of the scorched earth policy that everybody inside the Colts building appears to have taken, right, in terms of blowtorching that guy on the way out, like terrible leader, disastrous locker room press, and you know, all this kind of stuff. They ripped that guy it was a complete character assassination and maybe it was by one guy maybe it was by everybody but whatever they fairly well trashed him on the way out if that's true in any way shape or form even if it's half true they are probably not looking at a guy like baker mayfield and sort of sure. saying yeah let's let's try that again that's fair they're probably going "Matty ice you know model professional arrives in the building off the They certainly suit, would want that, you know, yes. They, that's who they want, yeah. right? They want the
1: model quarterback, even if he's, maybe, he's not as good. And maybe Matt Ryan's got more in the tank than I think. I think he's a good right. quarterback here. I still I still really do. But in my mind, if things go well for Baker, which obviously we know now is a big if, that to me would line up with the Colts' actual potential winning window more than just let's make the playoffs right now right. and then kind of by the time our roster is actually maybe good enough to compete with the top three in the AFC, Matt Ryan won't be. Because
0: that, I think, is what's hampering Baker Mayfield as much as the on-field performance right now is the view of him as a pain in the ass. Right. Oh, totally. And part of the problem with the interview that he gave, it's like what seems to be a, a, a theme with Baker is, I mean, he's right, but sometimes being right isn't, Enough, Like, you need to understand when you might be right, but saying it out loud doesn't do you any favors, right? So Baker Mayfield, I think, is genuinely kind of the victim in this whole situation in terms of that dude played from week two onwards with some kind of injury, which got worse week six, I think. And then from, like, week six onwards, the dude was barely functioning, still went out there, gritted it out, and only got shut down right at the end of the season when they were done, right? And to me... That is, it's admirable for him to attempt to do that. Somebody should have saved them from himself and That's shut him down. right, right. So right. if you're Baker Mayfield, he should like, have
1: played like a couple of weeks. People would have been like, "Wow, look at this dude right. toughing it out. Get him the hell then off the field yes. and shut him down." Yeah, like
0: and that, like at the start of the season, we were expecting Baker Mayfield to have a career year, earn himself some form of giant extension, mm-hmm. and be the Browns' quarterback going forward. That year cost him that, and then it cost him his job because the Browns went out there and didn't do what you always said, what everybody was sort of saying they would do, right? Which is we put an asterisk next to the season because we know he was playing with a torn shoulder mm-hmm. and we expect him to be better than that going forward. They were like, oh yeah, but look, suddenly Deshaun Watson's available. Let's just make that move instead. So if you're Baker, you're like, I went from giant 30 million a year extension, you know, for over five years, whatever, like the the payday, to I don't even have a job anymore it's been taken by this dude who let's be honest has got some pretty serious issues himself yeah and like what the hell and whether or not he was right about I I don't know whether he's telling the truth about you know they lied to me they told me one thing did the Mm. other but it's very difficult not to view Baker Mayfield as some form of victim in all this right Yeah, but it but saying it out loud on a podcast does you no favors whatsoever because you're already right. You're already in like this is the one time right. where you actually look okay. Right. Like you're not being blamed. It's right. somebody else's fault. And all you do by sort of coming out and going, yeah, dude, I got I got hosed. Like got, I got screwed. Is everyone suddenly goes, ah, oh, that's a little bit. You know, it's a little bit me. You know.
1: I can I can understand why he feels like. An animal being backed into a corner right. a little bit right now. Because like to 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 give you credit there, but you I lose think that all moral high ground by talking. The, the, the time to do this would have been when you get to a new team, but unfortunately, like it's so frustrating for him yeah. because I, I looked I looked up the quote while you were talking. He simply says like, "Oh, if if he was betting where his next place would be, he he said he would have bet Indianapolis right. before they traded for Matt Ryan." And it's like you look around the league, what are the other options now? Seattle's basically the only one we talk about. I mean, Pittsburgh's technically still open-ish, depending on what you think of Trubisky and what they're going to But we figured they're going to go a, Q, a QB in the draft instead. Carolina's there, but apparently Caroline is not interested. So you look around the league, and yeah, I think he just is super pissed off that yeah. he did get screwed, right. and now he— But again, it feels like— I don't like, know. Where, like, where is he going to go? When's he going to get traded? I don't, that's the thing. He's not.
0: And this, this interview is not helping that. Do you think he gets traded on draft weekend? I don't think he gets traded. I think he gets cut no way so you just said you just laid it out right the only market for because if
1: they cut him they own the
0: 18 million right but the only market for him is seattle right and seattle doesn't want to take on that contract and if the only market is seattle why would they because you don't have to you're not in a bidding war nobody else is coming for him so you just sit there and wait until they cut him because they have to because of this right yeah and okay once you cut him it probably gets more of a market because, you know, a couple other teams are going to come in once it's not an $18 million deal. But, like, my point being Seattle are not going to jump into this for $18 million. Like, they're going to wait until it's cheaper and hope they can get him on an open market versus other teams that are giving them a backup job because they're still going to be offering them starting gig. I just – I don't see – Nobody's coming in with a trade. Lions got 18 million cap
1: space. I'm just saying. True. I'm just saying. Um, I'm just saying. And again, though, God, it Jared Goff like... and Baker Mayfield on the same team. <laughs> again, though, like it feels like somebody <laughs> oh, somebody no. needs to be saving him from himself. Like I, yeah, he's just he's he's mad right now. Right. And I get it. I think that both of us understand it's got to be an advisor
0: it, somewhere that's like, yeah. dude, do not sit down and talk about this it in does. front of a camera. Yeah. It's, now, get, it gets don't worse. do it. it You're not worse. helping. Like, sit down. I know it sucks, but you have to sit quietly in the corner and not say a damn thing because any time you open your mouth, it'll make it worse from now on. Like, just shh, quiet. Don't say anything. Yeah. I know you are you got screwed. Everybody else knows
1: it. Yeah. Just don't talk about it. I agree. He's in a tough spot, man. It's I, Look, I would feel all sorts of emotions as well. Yeah. I, I, I really would. And it'd be hard for me not to want to say something cl- because, you know, Baker – for the whole time that he was in Cleveland, too, there was probably plenty. I mean, Cleveland's a huge market when it comes to covering football. Like, there's probably plenty of things that happened or didn't happen or whatever that got reported. Where Baker's probably been silent on a lot more things than we realize. I know, as but, well, but you it's know? the ones that he isn't. No, I know, and and it's it it, it's, it is those couple that he isn't on that we point the finger yeah. to. But the numbers of things that he has probably yeah. shut his mouth on are way more. Of course, and so it's uh, like frustrating. But for when him, things are is. going
0: well. You can do that, right? Like Joe Burrow takes shots at people, right? But because he's Joe Burrow and he's winning and That's everything's true. going well, That's it's true. like, ah, oh, it's, it's great. Don't you love a quarterback with an attitude like that? Mm-hmm. But when you're losing and things are going badly, it's like, oh, ah, yeah, this not is just great. petulant. Like, right. now, you're just, well,
1: now you're just a child that nobody wants as their starting go quarterback. Go back to why he was number one overall, right? He's number one overall because of the heart, because of the, the competition, yeah, I think the, the, because of all of that. Somebody,
0: either him or somebody around him, like needs to recognize that difference. It's like when you're winning and when things are going well, it's a fine line. You for can sure. be you.
1: It's a fine line.
0: But when things are going badly, you need to you need to pull it back and you need to shut up because right now we need somebody to come in and like give you a job because you don't have one at the moment. I mean, you do technically. He's getting 18
1: million, right? I mean, he's getting 18 million no matter. And, you know, what. you're still on the. That's playoffs. probably what he is thinking. I know he's probably thinking I'm getting paid 18 million dollars this year, no matter what. Yeah. So if I talk enough, and Cleveland has to swallow their pride enough to cut me from the team, maybe, maybe but, that's maybe that's his end goal. Maybe that's think, just all
0: he wants. I don't think anything he's doing right now is endearing
1: him to the next team, and that's his problem. I don't think it's helping but i'm going to be honest and we can move on if we want to but like i'm going to be honest i don't know how much it's hurting him because what is he doing that people don't already think of Baker Mayfield right now right so, so you're reinforcing if, it right but but for him to get traded is one thing but when he gets when he gets cut mm-hmm. if a team's interested in him they're still going to be interested in him they're just going to have him for a different deal so honestly like what he's doing i don't think helps him but I don't think it I really don't think it makes things worse. Maybe like you said, like reinforcing it, but reinforcing what? Something we already know. So in my mind, I'm thinking in my head, maybe he's talking and making things worse yeah. for Cleveland to trade him, but if Cleveland cuts him, the same teams that would have been interested in maybe trading for him are still gonna be interested in signing him for a lower contract.
0: I think recency bias is, is kind of important though. Like teams everybody Often goes with like, what's the last thing we saw? And if the last thing you saw is Baker Mayfield kind of whinging on a podcast, you're like, I don't know. Do You really want to give this yeah, guy I don't, the starting yeah? Don't no, know. Don't know. um. Anyway, right now you can get 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription if you use the promo code DRAFT50. That's as cheap as you're going to find this. 50% off PFF Elite is as cheap as it's ever going to get. 365 days of Elite access. You get all of PFF's locked article content. You get a draft guide, 250 plus pages, of, or 253 page scouting profiles, and if you're doing it now, you're going to get two draft guides, right? You're going to get this one. You're going to get next year's draft guide as well. Two for the price of one. Completely unlocked mock draft simulator. Data and grades for the 2021 season. Next season, all the previous seasons that have been archived as well. Promo code DRAFT50. 50% off a PFF Elite annual subscription. Also, PFF has launched Hutch, a four-part documentaries, or podcast series with number one overall prospect Aiden Hutchinson. Out this Wednesday. So yesterday, um, show includes interviews with Jim Harbaugh, current former Michigan football players, key members of Aiden's family, media members, and draft analysts. Check out Hutch. You, uh, you, you were. Interviewed, right? You were part of that?
1: I was. I was. I did not make the final cut, but I was interviewed for it. I I just got to be better. I just got to, you know, I just got to be better next time. You did listen to it. I did. I listened to all four episodes. It is, (laughs) it really is. It is like a long form feature article in audio form. And when, with it being audio form, there's more emotion, there's more personality with it. And uh, Austin hosts it and he talks with, with Aiden and Aiden's parents and Aiden's coaches, you know, Harbaugh, his offense coordinator as well. Like there's so many different perspectives on all this and they go through so many different things he's been through they also go through some of the biggest moments that Aiden had like when he was straight up just like pointing and calling out the offensive lineman at Ohio State during the OSU game like Aiden laughs about it and he tells you exactly what he said to the guy and all that kinds of stuff so it's it's awesome it's a really cool podcast
0: and it's on uh the YouTube channel as well in visual form the the guys have done a great job the video uh guys on the behind the scenes here making it look awesome as well so check it out wherever you get your podcasts or indeed the youtube channel um when we so let's get into the draft we're going to talk Trayvon Walker at some point we've talked a lot about Trayvon Walker already um I want to get your take and I'll kind of shut up largely because I've already given mine plenty uh, but first I want to get into some over and underrated players a little bit okay um do you let's talk most which way will we do it
1: so are you going to give me a name, and I'm going to tell you if they're well, overrated? Underrated? No, no. I'm
0: just saying, which will we go negative first or positive? Uh, let's go positive first. Okay. Well, right. yeah, let's go positive. Come All on. right. I was going to save the you know save the
1: uplifting bit for the end, but well, I, can I, we do I, a can we do a sandwich? How many do you have? I, I don't know. Let's just see where we go. All right. Let's start positive and okay. get into start a little positive. bit of negative, and then end with at least one positive. So most underrated players in the draft who jumps out to you. <clears throat> Underrated player in the draft, I I would say that Drake Jackson for me right now, the edge rusher out of USC, is probably the most underrated. Um I, he, He's really good. I don't I don't really know how else <laughs> to explain it. Like if you go watch the USC tape, yeah, the stats don't super jump out at you. I thought that this year was gonna be a big leap in production from him. It wasn't. It's kind of more of the same, but when I say more of the same, I mean it was You know, Okay, he plays well, he plays well, he just doesn't get home, just doesn't quite get home. And then there are a couple times, whether it's on second and long or third down or whatever, when he pins his ears back and he gets to attack the outside shoulder with speed and what he brings more than a lot of other prospects in this class, bend and flexibility, man. This dude can dip under the arms, he can get around offensive tackles and he has those abilities that you cannot teach. And so he, I think USC had him listed at, because originally, I think when I started watching him, A year or two ago. He was like 240, 245. So he was a lighter stand-up outside linebacker kind of a guy who was more of a speed profile dude. And I was like, okay, I kind of like this dude. I really do. This past year, I think he played at 250-ish. Shows up at the Combine. He was like 257. I was like, okay. Gaining weight. We're getting stronger. And he still tested really well, I think explosively at the Combine. He did the vert, the broad and all that. Then he showed up at USC's Pro Day. Like a month and a half later. He was like 270 he was huge he was he was like 15 pounds heavier and I'm like what are we doing now (laughs) because a lot of your tape is at like 245 and now you're 270 that's completely different player but then he continued to test really well with agility at that kind of a weight and so when I combine how he was able to test at a heavier weight both at the combine at the pro day and I look at how much bend flexibility burst all that kinds of stuff he was able to show I would I I think he's the most under—he is not even mentioned yeah. as a first-round prospect, and I think that's completely disrespectful. Clearly, he's going to go on day two, so I'm not even going to like fight that battle. But I would genuinely consider this guy at the back half of the first round because I think he's that good.
0: It is a, it's an interesting group of edge rushers because you have the kind of top-tier guys, you know, the Aiden Hutchinsons, Kayvon Thibodeau. Both those guys have been talked about as clear number-one picks. Uh, since the start of this process, right? It was Thibodeau, now it's Aiden Hutchinson. And then you've got the Trayvon Walker thing, which we'll get to in a bit, forcing himself into that discussion. George Karloftis seems to be the kind of forgotten guy that's just getting lost in the middle somewhere while right. you focus on everybody else. Right? And then you almost have, like, the next group of guys. And that's where it seems to get chaotic, where there's, like, half a dozen more edge rushers once you get clear of those guys. And now it's chaos, because everybody has their favorites and... Um, players that
1: they like, players that they don't like, and that group seems to be in any order whatsoever. It is a decently deep edge rush group, yeah. and we don't often get that. Like Normally, we you know, you, you tell yourself, hey, you better draft the premium positions early. Like, you better pass rusher, pass protector, and then island corners, like guys who can play man coverage. you got to draft those guys early. You're not going to have a chance to get the ones that are worthwhile at the top of the second round. This year's a little bit different with edge rusher. Now, It could end up being that a big run happens at the back end of the first just because it is pass rusher and teams obviously love that position for good reason. But I just, I I don't know if there's enough picks to be had in the first round where you're not going to have a chance to get a really good guy at the top of the second round in this class. Like when I look at, for example, if I'm formulating a draft plan for the New York Giants they can go a lot of different directions, they need an edge rusher they need an offensive tackle and they need a corner Okay, those are three of the four premium positions in the game of football outside of quarterback, right, and some people would argue they need a quarterback, but they just don't seem to be picking one, so they have all three of those on the table, they've got pick five they've got pick seven, and they've got an early pick in the second round, and when I go through mock drafts, some Giants fans say, well you you gotta attack trenches you gotta have a pass rusher at the front and the more that I run simulations, the more I like pick Evan Neal at five, pick Derek Stingley or Sauce Garner at seven, and then pick Boye Maffe, Arnold Nebikete, or Drake Jackson at the top of the second, whoever's left there. Right. That's, that is a hell of a haul to me if you get that. Yeah. Now, if you go the other way around, if you go, okay, we'll go Jermaine Johnson at five, we'll go Charles Cross at seven, and then... Uh, Kyler Gordon maybe at the top of the second round. Like, that's okay, but I'd still rather take the first scenario. Yeah, I
0: mean, to me, the edge rusher thing with one of those top two picks only makes sense if you love, you know, a Thibodeau, right? If you thought that he was the number one prospect in the draft and suddenly he's there at five or seven, you take him just for value, right? right? Yeah, there might not be as big a gap between him and those top of the second round edge rushers as other positions but if you're the Giants and you think that guy's like the number one prospect in the entire draft that sort of changes the dynamic a bit right if they're different to the consensus board on that I I, th- I would be okay with taking him but I agree with your general premise that like in a vacuum and relative to sort of where the positions are and what's going to be there at the top of the second it makes way more sense to not take the edge rusher with the one of those top two picks Um with along the lines of the Drake Jackson thing, Nick Benito to me feels like he's massively underrated at this point. You like Nick? Yeah, like I understand he's one of those guys where you can kind of see why people are lower on him. You know, the size isn't what you want it to be. He's an undersized uh, edge player. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's not going to do a ton against the run, but it feels like we're sleeping on just how good a pass rusher he is and has been. Like he is insanely athletic. He has the best sort of two year production in terms of pass rush of anybody any of these prospects including Aiden Hutchinson including Thibodeau Nick Benito has been the most productive pass rusher in this class and then showed up and was you know crazy athletic ran a 4-5 35 vertical you know good t- good measurables across the board it feels like we should be focusing a little bit more on that and giving the guy some credit even if he even if he's only a situational pass rusher at the next level like it's a really good one
1: trick to have. Yeah, and I think that that's just that's how you have to look at Nick Benito because Oklahoma plays him in a. It's just very specific. Like right. this is what you're doing. It's the same thing with Perry on Winfrey. That you there is a specific role that you are playing. And Perry on Winfrey is kind of that guy where you watch him on tape, and if you watch him from an overall interior defensive lineman lens, if you will you're going to see a lack of strength or a lack of ability to hold up against the run, what a lot of interior defensive linemen are asked to do with Perry on Winfrey, and you're going to say okay, he's great for you on third down, but can you even play him on first and second down? Because he's getting blown off the ball a little bit. But it's those flashes where Oklahoma tries to put a heavier guy next to him, make sure that he doesn't have to take on too much, no more than one guy, really not getting double teams a lot. And then when third down comes around, you let him pin his ears back, you let him go to work. And you see that. And I think with Nick Benito, it's the same thing. Nick Benito, I watch him and it's just like, okay, he's in the seventh percentile for edge players. And when it comes to weight. I mean, it's just like he he is extremely small. He's 248. And if you add more weight to him, like if you get Nick Benito up to 260, 265, you're taking away why you're probably drafting him. Right. So you've got to be okay with playing him around 250. Maybe you get him up to 255, but I think that's probably like a multi-year journey anyways because you don't want to throw too much weight on him and all that kinds of stuff. So I like Nick Benito, but I like him firmly as like a mid- day two, round three kind of a player. You draft him for a specific purpose. You have a package that you would love to get him in on and the rest of the time he can be a rotational guy play special teams. But
0: I think we also need to start rethinking the way we frame some of that, right? Because it's like yeah, he's great on third downs but can even play him on first and second downs. But if we think about today's NFL like it's flipped, right? Like people aren't playing base defense almost ever. Sure, like 25% of your snaps. So And if you look at, so last year, if you look at some of the best pass rushing grades in the NFL, let me read you some players' run defense grades for edge rushers. You've got Trey Hendrickson, you know, had 87 pressures, including the postseason, 20 sacks, including the postseason, pass rushing grade of 87, run defense grade 41, right? Uh, Randy Gregory, really great pass rusher for Dallas last season, run defense grade 47, uh Charles Ameno had a really decent pass rushing season. Run defense grade 44. Jerry Hughes, uh 55 run defense grade. Chandler Jones, run defense grade of 40. You got a lot of really really good edge rushers who just are not defending the run anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't need to. Cuz most of the NFL is a passing offense, it's a passing league. Um third downs have become second and third down, first down a lot of the time. It's like it's no longer obvious passing situations. It's like Let's default to the pass unless it's an obvious run situation or a team... Well,
1: that's, that's what we're seeing the Chargers do, right. right?
0: Or a team that just likes running the ball on, like, those... You know, the team runs the ball in second and ten. Everyone's like, you idiots. You know what I mean? Like, it's become... <laughs> the like So nobody cares if they def- if you're not defending the run on those plays. So when you have a guy like Nick Benito, who's incredibly good in pass rushing situations, mm-hmm. isn't going to do much for, from a run defense point of view, I would simply ask, are we are we uh, magnifying that part of his game too much and underrating the part
1: where he's really good you definitely need to have context to it in terms of where the nfl is going a little bit smaller a little bit faster but the game is still about obviously dominating the person in front of you and and where i agree with you we're changing things a little bit and i think that we're seeing things evolve at the pro level a lot you look at the chargers and the chargers were in trouble last year because because they did that too much. Now, if they have more of an anchor in the middle, like if they happen to be gifted to Jordan Davis, we'll see what happens this year and how much that's able to to impact what they do. But you've still got to be physical and dominate up front, I think, uh, on those early downs. That's not completely going away. And I do agree that you've got to be able to look at what matters most pass rushing and even if a guy is just a pass rusher, he can certainly have a role on your team. It's just kind of gotta be to this a specific team, right? You can't look at like if you're running a mock draft simulator on pff.com, which you all should do. Um if you see a team with an edge need, even if they are like a 3-4 outside linebacker team that can deal with a smaller edge rush guy, Nick Benito might not 100% fill that. Like, you might not want Nick Benito to fill that in the second round. You would probably want to be a team that doesn't have as high of an edge rush need, where Nick Benito can truly be that come-in special package player and give you that upside. Not only is he, like, fresh, he's playing less snaps, he's ready, he's energized, he's ready to go. He's doing exactly what he's good at. You are putting his... Strength on the field at one time. And I think that's important, especially for parts of the game that matter the most. Or- but it just, you've got to draft it appropriately. Like, you don't want to be drafting that guy, I don't think, as a top 50 selection or something like a top 75 selection. Maybe it depends on if your team is really built well enough. Like, I think of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? You look at most of this team and you go, Okay, they have starters at every single level. Tampa could probably, in the second round, afford to go, we are going to draft a situational specialist that's right. going to help our football team in this, in this in the second round. And they can do that because the roster's already set up like that. Not every team can do that, but maybe a couple can.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's also... Um, there's teams out there that just need pressure, right? There's teams out there that simply... The players that they have, nobody is capable of rushing the passer. Like, they're just not able to get to affect the quarterback. So... Whether or not he's going to help in the run game, a guy like Benito might be worth bringing in simply because he's going to guarantee you a certain degree of pressure. And then the other point I think is worth making is that you probably can't carry many players like that. Right. But so right, right. Randy Gregory, Only a handful, right, for like sure. Like Randy Gregory with Dallas. Bad grade against the run. Wasn't affecting the run. On the other hand, Demarcus Lawrence on the other side had a run defense grade of 93 So you're offsetting a lot of what you lose with Randy Gregory not defending a run with the other guy, Mm -hmm. absolutely crushing it. And like I think that for the Chargers, bringing in a guy like Khalil Mack, one of the best run-defending edge rushers in the NFL since he came into the league, he will make a material difference to that run defense, whether or not they find an interior presence like Jordan Davis or whether Sebastian Joseph Day upgrades there. Um, So if you have one of those guys, I think it increases your ability to carry a guy – who isn't playing the run particularly well. And there's also, like, you know, Nick Benito, if he never learns to defend the run, will never be one of the best edge rush or edge defenders in the NFL because those guys can do both, right? Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Max Crosby, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa. All those guys defend the run well. Von Miller still. So if you're never going to do that, you're never going to be in that group. But you can be the Randy Gregories of the world who just got himself, you know, a big contract for Denver, because of his pass rushing, not because he defends the run particularly well. I think I, because of the, that sort of framing, right? Well, he can only play on third down. I think we're sort of forgetting that third down now is like two thirds of the game, not technically, but you well, know what I mean? you like, have you thir-
1: can have that package in early. But I also think that you know you you mentioned oh like if a team doesn't have any pass rush at all, they could draft a guy like Benito and he'll get your pass rush. I'd push back on that a little bit. I think you need players around him in order to get that. So again, like I think Benito is a I think Benito is a specific case where if you have players already in place around the roster, whether they're stout run defenders and they're going to take up a bunch of blocks and give you single cover or single single uh, assignments on the outside, or just if you have a good D-line in general, then picking him gives you even more value because you only have to put him in situations where he's going to thrive. I, I don't think he's like this one-on-one machine where... I can't remember if you brought up the Falcons or if I'm just thinking of the Falcons, when you say a team that like has no pass rush, like if you put Nick Benito on the Falcons, I think he's completely silent. I don't think he does anything because there's just, there's there's nothing around him. But if you put him on a team, like if you were to put him on the chargers, like he plays really well. I think he right. gets you maybe, I don't know, anywhere from like four to six sacks in a season. And all of a sudden, like those plays become huge, not to mention all the pressures that he would get that right. are recorded. So that's kind of the way that I look at Nick Benito.
0: Okay. Um, now we're let's go
1: who's overrated I think Trevor Penning's a little overrated at this point. really,
0: and a a lot of people really like him, and, and a lot of a lot of those a lot of the offensive line people
1: yeah and and I, I I get it. I just feel like Trevor Penning has such a long way to go like if we were if we were drafting Trevor Penning in like early day two i'd love it i I'd love him as a player because you look at what he did it in northern iowa and you got to remember that their season was completely flipped so because of covid so he had a fall season he had a spring season and then he had a fall season again and like that was his final year so he played 3 seasons of football within about a year and a half right Started every single game. Didn't miss a single game. So I know that people love the toughness. They love the availability. He's clearly a great athlete at the position. And obviously he's got the tape where he's just you know burying you like the undertaker in a WWE (laughs) match, right? So I think that those are all the things you absolutely love. I watched him at the Senior Bowl, and I watched that outside shoulder just get cooked time and time again against some good edge rushers that were at the Senior Bowl. I don't want to make it seem like they were scrubs or anything. But all of that is just saying like, I think he needs a little bit of time. I think he needs a little bit of work. And so that's that's. I think that people are kind of saying, hey, let's take him top 20, top 15. I've seen some mocks with him going in the top 10. It's like, okay, if you're drafting a guy like that, you're probably starting him right away. And if he starts right away, it might be a little tough for you in year one. Are you factoring in the Duke many bump? He's been training Duke, with Duke. Duke, Duke. Duke is awesome. Duke is absolutely one of the best in the business, no question about it. And so, I mean, if you're training with Duke, you're you're getting the right teaching in front of you. You are kind of what I'm saying. Like if there, are, if I see that you're getting attacked one way or the other on film, I, he's going to fix it for you. So I like the fact that he's working with Duke. Uh, I, I really do. But I don't know. I just I I, I feel like people talk about penning. As if he's further along yeah. than he than he is. <clears throat> That's the part that scares me. Not and, the potential, just right. the part that people are saying, hey, let's draft him super high. You're probably going to have to throw him out there early at that point, And maybe he's not so ready for it. No. I don't want him to get ruined before, before uh, we get to see him shine. I know Mike Renner is lower on him than
0: a lot of people as well. I mean, he's going to have him much lower. I think the final big board might come out today, tomorrow, whenever it is. Um, and he has Penning a lot lower than other people do. I also... As soon as we saw those Senior Bowl plays come out, it's like him tossing dudes to the ground and just generally starting a fight every single rep. Yeah, you're like immediately he's going to get overdrafted just from that. <laughs> NFL people love that, right? The nastiness, <laughs> the finish, all those like all those crappy terms they use to, to describe things that don't really matter. Right? They love
1: that stuff. So well, as I mean, soon I as you like see that. I don't see it doesn't matter. I mean, like this stuff matters. I think it doesn't matter when you play on the offensive line. It is every single snap is. A dude trying to move you against your will uh-huh. and you trying to move him against your okay, will. But like At that a- point, attitude matters, I think. For every... Nasty. That's the term, right? Going
0: back decades, the buzzword that people talk about on the offensive line is nasty. Mm-hmm. But one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL... Rashawn Slater comes in one of the nicest dudes in the world never like that dude doesn't play nasty but he I still
1: th- well. but I still think Joe Thomas he,
0: but Joe Thomas is like the least nasty offensive lineman that's ever existed no. that dude was
1: just always in your way no see I think I think I, I look at it differently when I think of nasty I don't necessarily think of like okay he's drawing penalties but or he something didn't play nasty but I think he just that- always was between you and the quarterback I think that like that mentality still existed with him though like I think I that he would have done what I'm clearly he wasn't taking it too far because Joe Thomas was incredibly clean as a prospect as well or as a player as well because he was so technically savvy. But like I, I don't know, man. I wouldn't get it twisted when the guy's coming at Joe Thomas. It's not like Joe Thomas doesn't have that nasty in him. I think he does. There
0: are definitely they're, offensive lines. There are just people who wear it on their sleeve a little bit more. Yeah, but so but that's the thing, right? So Lane Johnson, I think, plays nastier. Right? That guy has an edge to his play. Mm-hmm. He's He's a little bit chippier. He's a little bit like in your face, and you know, playing to the whistle and maybe a, maybe a beat beyond, right? Joe Thomas didn't. They never did. The dude just played like that guy was the most sort of straight laced tie, you know, done up to the top collar. I will just play to the whistle, and as soon as that whistle does, I'll I'll march back to the huddle with my briefcase, having just done my job.
1: Here's a James Bond of all time. And he's like tackles. the best
0: offensive tackle that's played in the last 20 years. I don't and know. I think you can look throughout the league for every one of these guys that's, you know, nasty. and Like, there's there's dozens of people that are not that. Who is PFF's highest-graded player this year? Trent Williams. Definitely nasty. Definitely right.
1: nasty. All I'm saying is when you look at a lot of the – Great offensive line. Look, I've never played offensive line. <laughs> clearly, uh, so I, I'm not going to pretend. You say Clearly, but Austin Gale was <laughs> busy he telling
0: he us about him, his high school. But career? Austin,
1: have you ever seen Austin like actually get into a pass set and try to do it? Now, no. We, we, when we were in Vegas for we tape, when we were in Vegas for the East West Shrine, yeah. Yeah. he, I think he called out trash. He was just like <laughs> we were just like bored and we were kind of like waiting for something to happen or whatever. We, it was, we were in between things. He's like trash. Give me pass rush rep right now, and Austin like put up the hands and, like fi- like fired and like shifted and he just like boom just like got into like the dude is so intense yeah, at it everything like caffeinated he does
0: beyond the moon.
1: Well correct, but like that's why he's a good offensive lineman. Anyways, I digress. A lot of the great offensive linemen that we talk about not just in the league but who have played you're going to talk about them being big. You're going to talk about them being athletic, but I guarantee you're also going to hear in a lot of these guys, people who talk about them, describe them who went up against them, they're going to be like Phew, Nasty. Yeah, but nasty I think a lot of, of that God. is just
0: because that's a cliche that's been used for the last, like, 30 I years. I don't know. I don't think if you're I looking at these guys, you're like, I need I need a nasty guy. I, I just need a good offensive lineman. I don't care if he's nasty. Mm-hmm. If he's Joe Thomas, I'm happy. In fact, not only, I'm over the moon. If he's Joe Thomas, he's the best tackle we've seen in the last 20 years. I'm I'm good with that. I don't need him to be tossing the defensive end at the floor every rep the way Trevor Penning does. Do you believe in momentum?
1: Uh, Do you believe momentum is real?
0: Because I, I was – go ahead. Go ahead. So this is the thing that gets, gets analytics people into trouble. Right? Of course this it does. Is like, of course it does. I believe that
1: – I'm okay with what I believe. So you, I want to <laughs> hear what you say.
0: I believe that people, people feel momentum internally. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that it has any effect on anything. But I believe that psychologically when shit goes one way or the other, you think it. But I don't believe that – I, I believe that the data – I believe the data is correct in showing that that doesn't actually affect anything.
1: I believe the momentum is real in the form of psychology, right? I think that it is a mental right. state that happens within people. To bring it back to this conversation, I also believe that being physically imposing and standing next to somebody and striking fear in them gets the worst ability out of them. And so I, that's why I think the nasty matters. So you buy into the body blows stuff. I do buy into the body Blows thing. Wow. Yes, yes. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I work here. Yeah, I know it's
0: wild. Right? <laughs> I think that just generally from the NFL, I, I think at that level, that stuff just doesn't matter anymore. It's oh, kind of like I you, know know.
1: Way running, you know the way running. Context is key for
0: everything. But yeah. It doesn't
1: matter. I, I'm you know not the way there. the I'm lower down
0: there. the level of football you go, the more important running backs are. So, like at the college level, we've proven sure. running right. ball matters. Right. And high more school, obviously, does.
1: if you have a great running back, you just hand it right. to him. And so, they the lower
0: down it. the level you go, the more important running the ball is mm-hmm. as a concept. Mm-hmm. I suspect that stuff is also true, right? The lower down you go, the more important the psychology of like the, the get off the bus thing, right? Like when you're in high school and you see like a six foot seven, three hundred and fifty pound dude step off the bus first, you're like, oh, we're boned. Like, forget <laughs> it, go home. There's no point in even going out here. Like, we're done.
1: College, it's like. Oh, crap. I th- in the NFL, you see Phil loadhole get off the bus. You're like, whatever. He's just I another think dude. You're right. It matters less, but I think also the ability and the bar for the talent that's in the league, like, has something to do with that. Yeah, no doubt that's about why, it. Right? But like Aiden Hutchinson himself in the, po- in the in the podcast series, he talks about the game against Iowa. I think he was saying it was his sophomore year, maybe it was freshman year, and Tristan Wirfs is there, and he said that he went out on warmups and he was like. It's the biggest human i've ever seen he's like it's as if they like took one of those like bike pumps and just like stuck it into his leg and just like pumped up his body and it's just over inflated and he talked about like obviously he still went out and played you yeah. still have a job to do it's not like you you'd be like ah coach i'm out like i'm not playing this game but it still was something that he thought sure. about and
0: remembered but and the that point is into what, it. like what effect does it have and for a guy like hutchinson it if anything, it probably is like I need to up my game to play this. For dude. some, and certainly at the NFL level, I think you see a guy like that. You're like, oh, I'm gonna have to bring it today, otherwise, I'm getting, I'm getting destroyed. So I just think that, like I said, this, as soon as I saw all the senior bowl stuff with Trevor Penning, I was like, oh, that dude's going 10 picks higher than he should in the first he round, because of that, because of that,
1: and it's like. He has other things other than that, of course. but yeah, you are right. It hypes it. it hypes I'm like, it up. That on its own is going to get him 10 picks overdrafted. There's always a Hollywood aspect to every draft. There, there's players in every single draft who have one or two plays maybe or something that happens where somebody remembers that, right. and they go, that's going to sway my vote. Perfect. Uh, I'm not even a transition. Just
0: along the same lines, right? The, the dude that gets off the bus first thing. Jordan Davis is
1: surely overrated at this point. What's overrated? What's overrated? No, fact- no, 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 no. I, I meant like what okay, selection, well, so like what is, what is, what is yeah, overrated? If he goes in the Jordan. first
0: half of the first round, we've lost the run of ourselves. Uh, I think it's possible. I think it's entirely possible, yeah. which is what I think makes him vastly overrated at this point. like what about his tape suggests that he belongs in the top half of the first round
1: dude he he, he no one can block the man right for 300 snaps what do you, mean? What do you mean? no see see i i don't agree with i don't fully agree with that that is something that obviously happened at Georgia but you we brought up earlier in the podcast we talked about or maybe we did maybe it was beforehand trayvon walker and his alignment and his job and mm-hmm. like his singular job at georgia and so we didn't get to see a lot of what his full potential was because of the defense that they ran, right. I think the case is the. I think it's the same with Jordan Davis. Oh, now, 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 different. you want to you want to talk about the Alabama game, right? Where they couldn't get him off the field and he was gassed and he yeah. became a liability to them. Jordan Davis, I think, was playing at like three fifty five in that. Okay, he's like 340, 335 now. That's what he wants to play at. That's a massive difference. No, him. Saw, okay, hang on. I think that's a huge difference because <laughs> that is twenty less pounds on him.
0: Yeah, but he's six. He's like six seven. He's already three fifty. I mean. The dude's
1: not running a marathon like, out here. But so what he does. That's, that's huge to you, or hold me? on. You were arguing for Nick Benito. Yeah. Being a specific player earlier uh-huh. and needing more love. Now you're trying to bring Jordan Davis now. Well, okay, hang on. First of all,
0: the three the difference between 355 and 341 when you're 355 is like a rounding error, right? Steve, <laughs> Steve. Who's only only quote unquote like two seventy, right? Steve's margin of error when he gets on the scales in the morning is like ten pounds, right? For you or me, fifteen pounds it's is a lot. like it's, a lot. it's like your leg, right? right. <laughs> if, you're, if you're out by twenty pounds, it's like I've been ill for six weeks, right? I had dysentery or something and I haven't been able to get off the toilet <laughs> That's good for the last week. Right, right? For Jordan Davis, it's like I skipped
1: dinner. Yeah, it's no, not the same. No, say. no I, I I think it oh look. It was a good joke. It was good. I enjoyed it. I laughed. But <laughs> I do think Jordan Davis should get picked somewhere within 10 to 20. I really do. So I, think, the, I, I think that's where he should get picked. My point being, he right. is he is not just big. No, he no, he is agreed. uniquely athletically gifted. Yeah. And for him to have I think what was his recruiting profile? I'm going to look this up real quick. But, just so, say your point, yeah. I'm going to look
0: this up. My point being when like he played 300 snaps and uh, a year at Georgia and there's evidence of him being gassed in those 300 snaps, not just in that Alabama game where they kept him on the field and made him play like an exorbitant amount of snaps relative to what he normally plays. But there's plays where there's games where he's playing like 30 snaps and you can see him look wrecked, you know, gassed at times in those 30 snaps. I don't think that that's the difference between 355 and 340. I just don't. I don't think that shaving those 15 look, pounds it, off is going to go from like,
1: oh, he can't play... 25 snaps, to suddenly he can play 50 in a game and he's good. I'm not going to pretend I'm, you know, John Brink is sports science out here and know exactly what the numbers get down that's to. That's what and, the show's all about. And how much, <laughs> that's true. Uh, uh, but, so, if I talk to people that said Davis is never going to give you more than that many snaps. Right. Then, okay, like that goes into the evaluation. I genuinely think that what he played at Georgia and the weight that he played at is going to be different than how he's using the pros. So I see him with a little bit more upside. So what do you
0: think the usage difference is? Because that's the other area where I disagree with your idea that the, the story is the same for him and Trayvon Walker. Because I think the usage... The way Georgia used Trayvon Walker absolutely did not help him look good. Right. right, I think it actually put him in a situation where it's like, this is better for our defense. It's not better for Trayvon Walker. Whereas I think the way they used the def the way the defense plays
1: actually played exactly to the strengths of Jordan Davis. It does, but I think that there's more in the tank there for him. I mean, you saw from the athletic ability that we saw at the combine and the pro day and everything. Like, I don't. I don't think this is a player you only play on first and second down. Now, is it going to be Warren Sapp? No. like I don't think he's going to be like Warren Sapp on third downs or anything. But I think that this is a full three-down player. He's an interior defensive lineman. He's a bigger guy, so you're going to have to have a rotation for him anyways, as you would most interior defensive linemen. But I I don't think this is his massive liability on passing downs. I think it's going to be different in the NFL. And I still think that he is going to give you uniquely dominant reps on the first two downs, on first and second down and things like that. I think that the way that he imposes the line of scrimmage with just his length, his sheer size, his strength opens so much up for the rest of the team. But So I think that his impact in the middle makes quite literally everyone else in the front seven around him better. Yeah. That's why I think that there's value there. And because I don't think you're going to have to take that off the field as much as you are worried about Yeah, well, he was at Jordan. Yeah. So,
0: my, I have a couple of concerns. The first one is that we are 100% projecting whether or not he can play a bigger role in terms of
1: workload, right? We're doing the same with Walker.
0: Sure. So. Well, at least we know Walker can play a lot of snaps, you know, relative well, to Jim Davis, okay. right? So, okay. but we're, we're 100% projecting. The first point is like, can he play more than 350 snaps in, the, in a season? Because if he can't, like, this is a total waste of a first round draft pick. Um, so, number one, let's hope we scale it up to 600 and he's still the same guy. Number two is, as much as we talk about this guy being, like, singularly unique and dominant in the run game and that length and the reps, like, his highlight reel against the run is insane. It's nuts. Yeah. It's him, like, literally For- bench-pressing two different people, tossing them aside. To the side. Like, Correct. Nobody can do that. Correct. He didn't do it as much as he needed to, though. Like, his – when you look at his run defense grade and the consistency of that, like – he's not been as good against the run as even other one-dimensional giant run-stuffing defensive tackles that have gone in the first round in the last few years, right? He doesn't have the run defense PFF grade of a Vita Vea or a Dexter Lawrence or those guys. Mm-hmm. So now we're relying on, okay, we got to project that he'll play twice the number of snaps, and we got to project that we can improve the consistency in the, like, how often he's making these insane plays that's all of a sudden... Now we're talking about quite a lot of
1: projection. He's not Vita Veya. I think mean, the people who try to make him anything like Vita Vea are... Didn't watch Vita Veya at Washington. Don't watch Vita Veya. And that's before and, we get to like now we've got to project him as a pass rusher as well. But here, so but here's three also, different levels. But here's also the thing about Vita Vea. It took Vita almost two full seasons to just get his body right to play right in the NFL to what we see now. Mm-hmm. Because what he was early on was was truly just like this run stuffer. Right. But then two years into the league, now all of a sudden he becomes this incredible player that you can really use to get the most out of everybody else. And and I, I don't want to say that's what they hope to get out of Davis because I think Vitavea is a better pass rusher than Davis is always going to be. Yeah. But again, I think for certain teams, a unique player like Jordan Davis is is worth a first-round pick. We're sitting there with the Chargers at 17. If he makes to the Chargers at 17, pick him. 100%. I think he makes a total difference for that team. You mentioned in that we go that the NFL and defenses are trying to go lighter, they're trying to go less base, they're trying to go more into nickel, they're trying to get more speed on the field. You do that when you draft Davis. And... It's gonna to have to be more than Davis, but that's what it is for everybody. That's what that's always what it is. So when you get him on the field and it's him and it's Khalil Mack and it's Joey Bosa, and then it's the speed of the linebackers and the secondary behind him, all of a sudden you're playing the exact defense that you want. Now the Chargers were in third and three, third and two, so much. If you even change the math of that a little bit, you get to more third and fives, third and sixes because you pick Jordan Davis, how many more games are the Chargers gonna win just because their offense is that good? Yeah. I mean they went that, too far. To me is worth a first round pick yeah. when you have that kind of a player that that makes that kind of an impact. They went too far in the, you know, let's sacrifice the run in favor of
0: everything else thing. Like right. That, I think, is is the right strategy but once you get to the point, like when Cleveland, you know, in Cleveland, like running seven yards per carry against them, like, okay, at that point, it's too much. Right. Like Seven yards per carry, you've got four downs to work with. Right. You're not stopping them at right. that stage. Right. So I agree for the charges went too far. And a guy like Jordan Davis said, absolutely make a big difference for that team. But when we're talking about like the first half of the first round, when you just lay out all the projection that you need to do in all those different areas, like we need to project, Workload. We need to project sure in, increased consistency against the run. We need to project pass rush. I think all of a sudden that's just so much to be
1: to be expecting to all go your way. I think a lot of things also go into it. Like you're weighing him versus the rest of the class. Like what the current class is. You also want to weigh the fact that every team's going to have different boards. So, so there are some teams that might value Jordan Davis really high. There yeah. might be some that, that don't right. based on how they play. And then something else I'll throw out there. Now, we're talking about Jordan Davis here. We're talking about Jordan Davis potentially going top 15. And then we're talking about Travis Jones going like early second round. Yes, Travis Jones is also really freaking good. Yes, so like I think that also Travis Jones gives you that ability. Better run defense
0: grades, by the way. Right, right. And
1: and I think that Travis Jones is you know we're talking about overrated underrated. I think that Travis Jones is certainly an underrated player right now because I think that he brings a lot to the defense. There's a lot of times where I'll do a mock draft and I'll put Travis Jones at the back end of the first round, and some people are like, "Nah, I don't want like an interior like a I don't want like a run stuffing dude there," and I'm like. Right. God, look at the rest of your team, though. Look, look at how he helps the rest of your team. Things that make it better. And I think that that's the same arguments to Jordan Davis. The most important part for me is how much he plays for you. Yeah. That's you are completely right there. I would have to, if I was a GM, I would have to talk to a lot of people, strength and conditioning coach, yeah. the nutrition people. I'd want to talk to, obviously, the defensive line coach and the trainer at Georgia. What did you have him do? What was his role? Did you push him this far? What was he like in conditioning? And if I can confirm to myself that, okay, maybe him losing 20, 25 pounds, still being as dominant in the run as he is, but maybe being out there a little bit more, having more of an effect on our team, that all of a sudden, to me, becomes more worth it because you're up in the snap count. But it's no doubt it's something you got to think Because that's the last point that's definitely worth making, right? Like we Even if, even if
0: what you said is true, And I I have my reservations, right? (laughs) That Losing 15 pounds, so the transformers, durability in his uh, gas tank. Like, the fact that he was playing 15, 20, 30, however many he got up to, he was playing at like 380 at one point, right? The the fact that he was playing at those weights ever is a bit of a red flag. Like, if that's going to be an issue, then everything we just talked about is kind of up in the air. He said he, I think he said at the combine that he played it like 355, 360. I think, he, yeah, he'd said that he'd been last season at Georgia, he'd been playing at 355, 360. But I think he'd said that it like he maybe he'd arrived at right. 380. I don't know why
1: he would lie about that, but yeah. he's he looks even bigger. Oh, sure. But
0: right? like the point is, like, if, if we're agreeing now that like where he wants to be is 335, 340, and we're throwing out numbers that are 35, 40 pounds ahead of that when he's been on the field in like, you know, not a professional setting, but a de facto professional setting, like the University of Georgia football program is effectively a professional, mm-hmm. you know, enterprise here. You, so if, we're, if we've been playing up to thirty-five pounds over where we should have been, why is that immediately going
1: to change once we once we're getting a paycheck for it? You don't want to make a living out of picking outliers, right? You don't. You do not. But. For certain teams, it could be worth it. And I think that Jordan Davis is a uniquely gifted football player in a lot of ways. And so for some teams, I would tell you that he would be worth a first-round pick somewhere between that range.
0: Agreed. Um, The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season, though, is Manscaped. That was good. That was good? It's good. It was okay. No, it was good. Come on, I'm giving you your props. You are, and I appreciate that. Look, you as our our leader in terms of... uh, Hosting, You know, fronting these things. Mm. You're a master at the ad read. I'm just trying to step out from the shadow and do, do all I can do. I'm giving you your props here. Thank you. Um, Manscaped the leaders and below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4.340. Support us and head to Manscape.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks sl- and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscape will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. And I've made this point every single time. That really isn't a lady specific thing. Long nose hair, not good. Right. I don't care if Not good lady. for me. I don't care if you're a man. I don't, right. care. I don't care where you are. No. Long nose hair, get no get rid of it the weed whacker i love the way the weed whacker tm you know trademark yeah yeah right it's, it's proprietary
1: weed whacker no, no yeah you gotta you gotta get the legal team in here for that
0: nose and ear hair trimmer is your solution why not use the best tools for the job here april is draft season but it's also testicular cancer awareness month manscaped has partnered with the testicular cancer society to bring awareness to testicular cancer men's health and early cancer detection Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. Mm, there it is. Topical. Done. Um, Love it. Now, I want to stay in the uh, the overrated thing just for a little bit and hit the, jo- the Trayvon Walker thing briefly. Okay. Briefly. We've talked about this a lot. Briefly. So I want to hear your take on Trayvon Walker generally and Trayvon Walker potentially going number one overall? Uh,
1: I think the number one overall talk with Trayvon Walker is um, a sign of what the NFL thinks of this draft class. First of all, do you think it's real? No. Okay. No, I I don't. I don't don't actually think that it's real that he would go number one overall. I think the Jags are going to take Aiden Hutchinson and... Uh, I, I'm trying to think of why they, they would, like, put out there that, like, maybe they wouldn't. But maybe it's from other other teams as well. So, no, to answer your question, okay. I don't think it's real. Um, Trayvon Walker, I got to sit down and talk to him. I did a feature interview over uh, at PFF.com. Um, he's awesome. Small-town background, all about football, family loves football. I mean, it's just, like, he's an outdoors dude. Like, it's just... He was such a great guy. Uh, just all smiles the whole time, talking about football, talking about Georgia, talking about the NFL, everything. And so I totally understand why NFL teams, who would maybe sit in a room with him for 15, 30 minutes, absolutely love him. Because he was, he was fantastic. He was a joy to interview and get to know. So I definitely understand that part of it and why teams would want to buy in on it. Then you get to the fact that he's an absolute freak when it comes to athletic and build. I mean, th- yeah. there there is – his – One to one comp is zero, right? The closest thing that we have to what Trayvon Walker was able to do at the Combine is Daniil Hunter. And Daniil Hunter was tested similarly at 20 less pounds. He he was like 250, and Trayvon Walker's 270. It's insane. Now, Daniil Hunter also works as a comp for the lack of production, right? He was a younger prospect, didn't play a ton at LSU, only started two years, had one year of really good production, one year of okay production, but Daniel Hunter was taken in the third round. Like We weren't talking about Daniel Hunter going number one overall, which is kind of crazy. So if you bring it in the number one overall talk, two names came to mind for me. Mario Williams and Jadavion Clowney. Mario Williams was a player who was a pass rusher who was thought to be so athletically gifted that you just have to pick him over the likes of Reggie Bush, over the likes of Vince Young, that class there in 2006. But Mario Williams left NC State with the all-time sack record. Right. So he had the production. So that was even different there. Jadavion Clowney, you look at it and you go, okay. He is – people thought of him as more of an athlete than a pass rusher, which is, I think, the way that people would talk about Trayvon Walker. Sure. But the thing with Clowney is Clowney won defensive player of the year in college football in 2012. Like, like he, was, he was all SEC multiple years. And so he, even he had the accolades that Trayvon Walker doesn't. It is a massive projection. I think that Trayvon Walker is good. I think the, the, the potential is high. I had him as edge six. Two months ago, when I did my edge rush rankings for the, for the podcast, I had him, I had him as, as my, sixth, my sixth edge rusher. I had him as a early second-round pick kind of a player with film. And I thought because of the athleticism, he was going to get bumped up into the first round. We were talking about a back half of the first round kind of a player. guy that you love to take a chance on, develop into a pass rusher. Now we're freaking talking about him going number one, number two overall. And it's like, okay, how did we get here? And I think we got here because the league wants to hit home runs. They're looking at this class, and they're going, mm, it's okay. Where are the home runs? Give me the franchise changers. I'm going to go try to pick him. So, no, I do not believe that he's going to go number one overall. But I think that top five, top seven hype is real. And I think that's because teams really love the ceiling.
0: And the, one, the thing that I think is really driving it is it's the completeness of the athletic profile. So, I think Jadevian Clowney is actually a pretty good comp. But the one thing that's different is Jadevian Clowney was always a little bit stiff. Right? Didn't, didn't have the sort of bend, the fluidity, the, the turn. And you can see that in the measurables, right? When you look at the, there, as much as we sort of look at the combine drills and we're like, these are kind of silly, it's like they, they are designed to sort of show specific things, mm-hmm. right? So the three cone that's supposed to be able to show you that guy's ability to bend and twist and Flip get around the hips, a corner, yep. the stuff that you want a pass rusher to do. Jadevian Clowney's three cone was 7 to 7, 40th percentile uh trevon walker's three cone six eight nine 94th percentile unbelievable and and if you're sort of looking at the the thing to illustrate just how freaky trevon walker's measurables workout profile was he has nothing lower than the 72nd percentile he's nothing we have uh 98th percentile arm length 97th percentile 40 yard dash time 94th percentile three cone uh, 86 broad jump. Like, everything is nuts. So that, I think, is the thing that's that's really differentiating from every almost every other, you know, athletic, not good pass rusher you can think of, right, is most of those guys were missing something in the profile. You know, they didn't have a good three cone or they didn't have a good 40 time or they didn't have a good uh, one of the jumps, you know, the thing that's supposed to show explosion or they had shorter arms or there's just there's something missing. Yep. With Walker... There's literally nothing missing in the athletic profile, or the physical dimensions, or the the measurables makeup. So if that's what you're hanging your hat on, you are looking at a very, very rare specimen, I guess is the way of phrasing it. Mm Because we're not just talking about the measurables; we're talking about the size and the length and the everything. It's all there. So really, the only
1: question is, okay, but where was the production? I think the career projection that you want for him is Rashawn Gary, right? And I see the chat talking about Rashawn Gary, and and I've thought about him as well. And when you look at his Rashawn Gary's PFF grades, wow! What did Gary go? Was he twelve? He went twelve overall in twenty nineteen, something. Yeah, I think he went so. he went top fifteen, and um, so obviously he didn't go number one overall. But a lot of people were like, okay, well, this is a guy who was touted as a potential top five pick, didn't exactly have the production that you wanted at yeah, Michigan. 12. Yeah, so whoa, nailed it. It's like I do this for a living. But when you look at Rashawn Gary's. Grades in uh, PFF over his career. Twenty nineteen, he had a um, fifty four overall grade. Then he bumped it up to a sixty seven, and then this past year, he had an eighty nine point three. That's kind of the trajectory that you're hoping for with Trayvon Walker. You can't sit here and think that he's going to be a double digit sack guy for you in the first two years. It just it's it's likely not going to happen. Now, what you hope happens is you hope that he gets. You know, make five or six sacks for you next year, somewhere around like eight or nine the next year, and then maybe double-digit sacks the year after, and then you hope the year after as well, and you hope that he becomes a really, really good pass rusher with that athletic ability. It took Gary a couple of years to figure it out, and now he's playing really well. I mean, he had an 88.9 pass rush grade this past season. That's fantastic. That's yeah. really good. And that's the kind of athletic profile that we're talking about here. But again, Gary goes outside the top 10. Yeah. Trevor Walker might go number two
0: overall. And Gary was more productive in college. Like he, his, What did Gary have in college? I can't remember. He was good, but it was
1: inconsistency rather than just not there. Whereas well, he had Wal- the opportunities for sure. Sure. Whereas- so he did hit. He, he had nine and a half. Um, oh, wait. No, that's, uh, that's Green Bay. That's this last year. Uh, college stats. That's what they need to look up. Uh, college, he had... No, he had he had he had he had five and a half sacks his sophomore year. and He had three and a half his junior year.
0: Yeah, but he was I think he had significantly better PFF grades um, than than Trayvon Walker did. Like he, his his issue was a lot more of an inconsistency rather than a total absence of pass rush. Like his grade was 71, 78, 82, getting consistently better, putting him in a higher level. The he had fifty pressures. His penultimate season um at Michigan where he played a lot more. His what? Penultimate? Penultimate? You don't yeah. What does that mean? Last but one.
1: Oh. I don't know if I've ever heard that word before. Really? I didn't yeah.
0: think that was an unusual word. Penultimate? Uh-huh. Come
1: on. What? Chad help me out here, please. <laughs> like e- like even if you've heard the word penultimate before, it's not like a common thing that you're just throwing out there Tell and then me. being shocked that somebody else hasn't heard it. I,
0: I look, it's not a you word that People use regularly every day in conversation. I didn't think it was one that was going to stop the conversation. Uh, okay, right. it and discuss the.
1: Oh, look, I will use it later today. Good in a common situation. Excellent.
0: That's all I'm looking. That's all I asked. Okay, for. good.
1: Yeah, there you go. See, it's a word. Penultimate. Wow,
0: spelled exactly how I thought it was going to be spelled. Yeah, but spelled as it says. Yeah, it's look at right that. there in Google in the dictionary. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. We're just well, educating people. Maybe I'm an idiot. <laughs> Um, so I think two things. like Gary was a little bit more productive than Walker. And two, again, he's got this sort of clowny thing of we're not quite there with the three-cone time that Walker
1: has, which goes in his favor. Chat says it's pretty common, so I guess I'm a, um, you know, just not paying attention enough. Or an idiot.
0: You know, whichever. So
1: <laughs> yeah, probably that one. <laughs> Rough way to find out. Man. Yeah, it's tough. Live it's on tough. the podcast. Hey, look, the chat's got to let me know. they got to keep me honest. <laughs> So we're both, everybody,
0: it seems to be in agreement that that Trayvon Walker is a little bit overrated based off everything. The athletic measurables are there, but how is that ever, in what percentage of his range of outcomes is that going to justify a top five pick?
1: Darius said he's never heard it in his life. There you go, in the chat. You can't take the one guy. No, 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 no no no, 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 that's, no. That's, look, that's what NFL teams are doing with Trayvon Walker. They're taking the one guy. See, boom, transition. <laughs> to the next. No, I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's crazy. I, I I felt like this was going to be a back half of the first round guy. Again, it's kind of the Jordan Davis thing. You look at the class overall, you yeah. go, okay, it's not star-studded. It's not the 2021 class, right? If, it, if we're in the 2021 class last year, where's Trayvon Walker getting taken? Probably somewhere in the teens, probably in the late teens, is where we're taking Trayvon Walker. But this class is just different and there's not a lot of kind of like what we talked about a few minutes ago, that Hollywood factor. You know, that that right. that what sticks out at you, these prospects that, that you just gravitate towards, there's not that as much in this class. And so people are aiming for the fences. Now we gotta finish it with a with something optimistic. Who's who's who else is underrated? Um okay, can I give like a sleeper? Can I go like a sleeper? Yeah. Okay. Devin Tompkins, wide receiver from Utah State. I'm going to tell you his measurables right now, and you're going to be shocked. Okay. Five foot eight. Okay. Buck 55. All right. Never seen a player play bigger in my entire life. <laughs> He is wild. He almost led the country in receiving yards this past year. And when I say that, I don't just mean that he was taking bubble screens to the house. Now, he has good yards after the catchability, but they would throw this dude 50-50 balls. And he would go up on corners and go get it. And it, look, when I say that he's a sleeper, I mean that he's a true sleeper. Sure. I'm not advocating for this guy to go in day <laughs> one or even day two. But on day three, probably late day three because of his measurables, he is such a fascinating player. Player who had such incredible production over the last couple of years at Utah State, and uh, I, I got to interview him as well. And I asked him straight up, I was like, "My guy, have, have you ever tried to gain weight? You ever tried to get any bigger?" And he laughed, and he's like, "Dude, I eat pasta every day." How much do you think? Like you're he's five like, foot eight. How he, much weight can he gain? He said, "He's like, I eat a box of pasta every day," <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "I don't gain weight." He's like, "He's at one point," he said, "I, I got up to like one sixty five ish." and it's just like i didn't like how i fell at 165 so i just went back down 155 160 We've go on go watch his go watch his highlight film it, it is it is very fun he had he had like i said a ton of production i've seen very few players play bigger and so he is like a true draft sleeper for me
0: we have uh in in our measurable's database we have him at 57 so maybe maybe they were i asked him oh yeah i said how tall are you he said 58 so, well, he's, okay. he's not the one measuring it. Like, ah, you get the official guy with nah, the flat nah, thing over seen, the head. Nah, he like We also have him at 167, though. So, you know, maybe. Um, those, by the way, rank in the first and second percentile for wide receivers. I'm shocked it got into the second percentile, dude. So <laughs> I'm, <just, laughs> I'm shocked. That's like – it because Calvin Austin is one of my guys that I've been talking about all – draft process is somebody that's underrated, somebody I think could be a, a really good player at the next level. Austin has the same kind of thing, right? Tiny, like single digit percentiles in everything physical, but offsets it with like 95th percentile and everything like
1: fast, mm-hmm. right? Quickness, speed, vertical, broad, all those things. Uh, I know you're a TikTok guy now. You're, you're, course, you're yeah, a budding yeah. TikTok star. Uh-huh. There's a trend on TikTok right now in like the football community where like you list off all the negatives about a guy's like Player profile and whatever, and then in the positives it just says he's got that dog in him, <laughs> and that, that's that's like what you what you just said reminded yeah, yeah. me of that, like oh the measurables are terrible, like all that, like just don't bet on it. But then yeah. he's got that dog in him. but so. the thing,
0: the thing with Calvin Austin is like if you're gonna be that size, you had better be the freakiest fast, quick, like speedster in the world. Otherwise, yeah. you're gonna get murdered, right? Right, and he at least does. Your guy. Um, they're not bad. They're not bad. But they're not
1: 95th-plus percentile. Hey, look, we're drafting Calvin Austin in, like, round three. We're drafting Devin Tompkins in, like, round seven. Okay. Okay? All right, all right, I'm just I'm talking fine. sleepers. Talking okay. sleepers. Every time I talk about a sleeper and I bring him to the table, everybody poops on him. I'm not bringing up, like, a <laughs> second- or third-round pick. So, no, I think that he is. Uh, he's somebody that I like. Another guy who is getting a little bit of steam on social media lately is Jeremy Rucker, the tight end out of Ohio State. I think he's really underrated. He could possibly be the best tight end in this entire class. Came to Ohio State as a fringe, four star, five star receiving kind of a tight end became more of a blocking tight end because that's what they asked him to do and when they've shown when they've given him the ability to be a receiver he has shown that he has that ability to do it I think that his best days are ahead of him no doubt about it, I think he's a really good fluid athlete who now because of his tape in the last couple years blocks really well as well as is a good wide receiver I think he brings a total profile and it's so funny how we do this with players every single year. Jeremy Rucker was draft eligible last year and I remember doing mock drafts in December and January up before the date where you could declare for the draft. And I would do mock drafts, and we were getting to the point where Jeremy Rucker was going like late round two, early round three, at worst round four, and a lot of these mock drafts for teams. And then we started doing mock draft projections because he went back to Ohio State. And then like I remember in like August and September, we're starting to do mock draft projections, and people have Jeremy Rucker in the sixth, seventh round. I'm like, oh, did he... Did he get worse at football? I don't. I don't really understand what happened here. And now we're climbing back up to the fact that he's probably going to be a third round pick, like he was literally all along. But it's just it's it's very funny how I have to call him a sleeper now, right? Because people, I mean, maybe I contribute to this as well. But like people, people just like had him way lower as a prospect. And I was sitting here like, what, how did did he, did he get worse at football over the summer? Did he get his leg amputated? Did I miss something? Did a couple of hands chopped off? I don't really know what happened here. And it, he ends up. I think he's one of the best, more well-rounded tight ends in this class. All
0: right, let's move on to the quarterbacks. Because that, I think, is the driving force behind sort of defining almost everything with this draft. right? We're we're focusing on Aiden Hutchinson, um, Trayvon Walker at the top of the draft. And the reason we're doing that is because there's no quarterback worthy of the number one spot. Uh, Okay, Jacksonville wouldn't be taking them even if they were, but that's the thing that usually sets the the table for the draft. Mm -hmm. So what is your overall view of
1: this group of quarterbacks? I mean, it's, it's not even close to last year's class. I think that kind of goes without saying. Um, but I also think that we're going to get three quarterbacks in the first round this year. I, I, I think that teams are just too thirsty to get a quarterback. It means too much if you hit on one of these guys. I think that Malik Willis is probably going to be the first quarterback of, off the board unless Carolina picks Kenny Pickett at six, which I have heard could be a thing. Um, outside of Kenny Pickett going at six, I think every other team would probably pick Willis. Over Where
0: are Kenny. you on Kenny Pickett? Because I, I say this like it's unique to him, but almost every single quarterback on, in this class, the top five or six, divides opinion insanely, right? Mm-hmm. But I have heard, like, I don't like Kenny Pickett that much at all. Mike Renner doesn't like him. But I've also heard from people that work in NFL teams that are like, Kenny Pickett's the only guy that has any shot of being a good quarterback in this draft. So we're like, to me, if Carolina drafts Kenny Pickett at six, it's not madness because they they need a quarterback and they have to do something crazy to make mm-hmm. it happen. But like, mistakes have been made, right? I, think
1: it, I mean, I, I I think that it would be pretty crazy for them to draft Kenny Pickett as QB one at. At six, especially considering they have Sam Darnold there, like I, I think that Kenny Pickett's a, a short-term starter at best in the NFL. I do. Um, I, I think that his floor is high. I don't think that he's going to be a terrible quarterback. I think he could have a long career in the NFL. But there's not a ton that I saw from him that makes me think. This guy is going to be a franchise changer. This guy is going to be a long-term starter. Unfortunately, when I watch him, even his really good year this past year, and Kenny's another dude that I've had the chance to sit down and get to know, and I know, I know teams are going to absolutely love him. But when I watch Pickett, I unfortunately feel like I'm watching somebody who is always going to be that quarterback where teams go, can we upgrade and I think that that kind of a player is da- dangerous to pick at six. To pick at six overall as QB1 in a class, no matter how low the class is. And I think that's why most teams, I would say, would probably have Malik Willis ahead of Kenny Pickett. Because if you're taking a chance on a guy in the first round, at least you are taking a high chance on him. So I think that that's why ultimately... He's Willis, I would say, is probably gonna be the first quarterback taken, like I said, unless Carolina ends up making the move. They're the only team that I feel like I've heard loves Pickett. I'm sure there probably are others, but just from what I've heard. And then I think that Desmond Ritter also gets in the first round. That's what I think. I think it's gonna be those three guys. I think it'll be Willis, who goes one, I think Pickett will go two, and then I think Desmond goes somewhere in the back end of the first round. I think some team's either going to trade up to get that fifth year option on his contract at the back end of the first round. Um, could get a fourth quarterback in there, but I the way that I would say is I think at least three are going, maybe four, depending on how it falls and who likes who might like Matt Corral or, or Sam Howell the most.
0: Do you think that Pickett can start and be good, like is be reasonable early, because that. That seems to be the sort of, the crux of the picket argument is that narrative that well, if you need a guy to start day one, you want him more than you know Willis
1: or or one of these other projects. I would tell you, I would tell you, you'd want Ritter over anybody else. I think that you would want Ritter as a player who could who could start right away in the NFL because he does a lot of the little things about quarterbacking very well. Seth Galina, um, obviously over a PF with as a PFF, he does a, a great job of. Highlighting quarterback play, and like he's even gone through how Ritter manages the pocket, is already pretty advanced for a college prospect making it into the NFL. His mechanics are super clean. You could tell that he's worked on it a ton over the last two years. He knows how to go through progressions in an offense. It's not this one read, tuck it, and run kind of a thing with Pickett. He is a little skittish in the pocket. He's bailing from the pocket sometimes when he doesn't have to, and he makes great plays. When he's outside of the pocket, but you've got to really be able to play within structure for as much as we love to pick those guys who know how to play outside of structure, like Malik Willis, right? I think a lot of people, when you look at Malik Willis and you go, hey, show me what you love about him, they're probably going to show you a play where it breaks down, where he leaves the pocket, something that's out of structure. And those plays are obviously good. It's those split second decision kind of things that you want to see from a potential franchise quarterback because in the handful of times those do happen in the game you want to know you have somebody that you can lean on but most of the game happens within structure and you still have to be great within structure to make that happen so I would tell you that Ritter's definitely got the highest floor I I I I I don't think that Pickett is this guy who can come in right away for you and get you a 500 or above win season in the NFL. I really don't. I think that he, just like most of the rest of this class, like Corral, like Hal, like those guys, needs to sit and learn and and really understand life in the NFL and the speed of the NFL and and how to get the most out of their talents. And so, no, I think that people who, at least this is my opinion, I think the people who have that evaluation of Pickett wouldn't be correct. That's not to say you can't like him as a quarterback. I still just think that even if you like him as a quarterback and what he could be in the NFL, he is a year or two away from really hitting his stride, if you will, and being this maybe above 500, double-digit win kind of a quarterback. I think he's a little bit further than that.
0: Yeah, that's what—not worries me, but that's what I disagree with with the Kenny Pickett stuff. The idea that Carolina would take him at six— May well, be, may well be happening. May well 100%, 100% be the thing that's going to happen because Carolina's desperate at this point and have to do something. But like, if you're drafting a quarterback at six, if you're Carolina, it's because you clearly have no faith in Sam Darnold. And I think that's entirely justified and reasonable. So this guy's going to start day one and you need him to be quite good. Otherwise, everybody in that building is getting fired. I don't think Kenny Pickett is that guy. Like He's not helping you year one because the stuff that he's bad at right is the stuff that's going to get exaggerated by a young quarterback in the that's, nfl
1: that's why the stuff in that's why like him going to carolina is bad yeah like like objectively bad at like at there, there two, are other places that would be a lot better for him at
0: least two of these other quarterback prospects i think are better for carolina year one yes if that's correct. what they're focused correct on, right correct i think Malik I, Willis I brings a higher floor because at least he'll, he'll give you the rushing threat which we've seen with jalen hurts like, that buys you a lot of wiggle room to not be great as a passer. Mm-hmm. The idea that you, at any given moment you can run around and pick up eight yards and move the chains. And then you've got three more downs to try and figure it out as a passer. Um, and then Desmond Ritter, as you said, is just better at the the more advanced NFL stuff of being a quarterback, pocket manipulation, not having to run around every play and, make, mm-hmm. and you know try and make something happen with your legs, which gets harder in the NFL, right? Like, Kenny Pickett is a good athlete, But I don't know where he is on that, what I call the kind of Christian Ponder syndrome scale. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are good athletes in college and can run around and beat defensive linemen to the edge and get first downs who aren't at the NFL level, right? And that, to me, that was Christian Ponder, right? His issue was he never learned ever that he was no longer that athlete. So he would, his, his entire career was him, like, bailing from a pocket, right. running the sidelines, right. and getting chased down by a 320-pound defensive tackle that in college he could outrun and in the NFL he couldn't. So I don't know where Pickett is on that scale, whether he's a good enough athlete that he's now able to outrun those guys, mm-hmm. or if he becomes a Christian Ponder type of player where it's like every single play, you're like, dude, you can't do that anymore. Like, right. I think... He, uh, Christian Ponder was on the negative end of that scale. I think Baker Mayfield is on the negative end of that scale. And then the other end of it is like Patrick Mahomes, right, where the dude is always a, a step ahead of the dude chasing him, regardless of how fast that guy is. It's a tricky line to kind of tread, but if you're going to be that type of player, you need to be on the Patrick Mahomes end of it rather than the other end. Yep. So to me, like if, if you're Carolina and you're like, we need to come away with a day one starter at number six, that's the plan. Pickett is at least the third best guy for you, right? Not number one, right?
1: Right. Yeah i I might have Pickett even behind Corral for Carolina specifically. Now there's a lot of other teams where you could do different big boards, but it's I, Carolina picking Kenny Pickett as QB one would be would be something for him to for him to just replace Sam Darnold, and it's I kind of view Sam Darnold and Kenny Pickett similarly, where these are just like short term starters at this yeah. point. These are guys that you can play for a little bit, but then figure out who you can draft next, and that's kind of that's kind of where I see their ceilings. So
0: we have these the kind of top group of quarterbacks: three, maybe four go in the first round; five go somewhere, you know, early day two. Um, What I kind of thought going through this group is that there's not it's not even great when you get to the depth. Like usually you get to these mid round guys and low round guys, and you see a bunch of players. You're like. All right, you know, there's, there's something to like about this guy. We can get somewhere. Maybe we've got a, a couple of career backups. Maybe we've got, you know, somebody with the tools to be a starting quarterback down the line. Like, the further you get into this class, it doesn't get any better. It's just
1: underwhelming top to bottom. Is there anyone you like in the lower-down group. Um, Bailey Zappi is the only other one who's outside of those names that we mentioned where he had a lot of stats playing at Western Kentucky, had a lot of stats playing at Houston Baptist as well before then. His offense coordinator, Zach Kitley actually went, I don't want to say went with him because Zach Hitley went from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky first, then both Jareth Stearns and Bailey Zappi went with them to Western Kentucky, and so... The stats that we saw this past year was a culmination of three years working with the same guy in a very pass-happy kind of an offense. But he executed it well. And, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to I, – I think of this with running backs as well. There's something to running backs who score touchdowns a lot. Like when you get close to the, the end zone, they just think to themselves, this is what I do. Like this isn't special. Like I'm not like about to score a touchdown for the first time and wonder what my touchdown celebration is going to be. Like I score touchdowns. This is what I do. I get to the 2-yard line, somebody's tackling me, the legs are still churning, like I'm going like this is just what happens. I read things correctly in short spaces and so you almost like have that mentality. I think that also kind of goes to quarterbacks a little bit where you don't want to pick a quarterback that that hasn't produced not just because of the stats, but also because of the confidence level. Like Bailey's happy Completes first downs. He can, he keeps the chains moving. He hits bomb passes. He throws touchdowns. Like, that's just what he does. It's what he's been doing for three straight years. Now, does he have an NFL arm? No. So, like, you're not picking this guy over, like, more talented players. But for guys that, if, for a quarterback that you would want in the mid rounds to be, like, your backup, you'd want somebody to come in who's not going to, you know, crap his pants when he has the opportunity to make a big time throw. I think that Bailey Zappi at least brings you that. And I think that that's something that you like about his scouting report. But I, other than him, yeah, it's nothing. I, I mean I got I got nothing, man. I really do. Yeah, Zappy reminded me a little bit of
0: Case Keenum. Um like a thick Case Keenum. Yeah, sure. He's got some chunk see that. chunk to him. Thick Case Keenum. That's um, funny. Do you think that Carson Strong is being underrated in this draft class?
1: Yeah, so actually that's uh, look, I, I didn't mention Carson Strong and I should have put Carson Strong's name in with Howe or with yeah, with Sam Howe and Matt Corral in that second round. I didn't mean to say that there was nobody including Carson Strong that I wouldn't pick. I think Carson Strong has got a really nice arm. I think that he's got some really big time throws that we saw from Nevada. The knee, I guess, checked out medically, which is good. Um, I, I got to do a, a feature sit-down with Carson as well, and I asked him straight up. I was like, look, I'm going to hear a lot of hearsay about your knee. Yeah. You tell me about your knee. Like, what? what is it? What happened? And he said the – I don't remember the medical term of it, but essentially – he said what probably happened is he probably injured his knee when he was about 11 or 12 years old. And when you're 11 or 12 year old years old and you injure your knee, he didn't like tear a ligament or anything. He said probably something just happened. I landed on a little weird. And when you're a kid, you don't think of anything of it. You just keep playing. This is what he said. You just keep playing at recess or whatever. He's like, for years, I probably just normal wear and tear, playing, running, jogging, everything, playing football eventually on this knee to where eventually he got to his senior year. He's starting to have a lot of knee pain. They did this um, – MRI on him and they're basically like oh yeah you got like no cartilage in your knee bud and so they did like a short-term surgery for him to make sure that he would be able to go to college and keep his scholarship and play and he did at Nevada and then he had another surgery last year about a year ago this time where it was more long-term surgery to help his knee condition because a lot of people looked at his knee and they were like This dude's a ticking time bomb. Like, don't even draft him. Don't even touch him. But this long-term procedure that he had, the outlook on it is much, much better to the point where he actually improved in his health as this, this past season went on. He got... I guess a good medical recheck at the combine and everything. And so as long as the knee checks out and we're not talking about a, a Brandon Roy situation, right? Where you draft him and you go, ah, you know, it's only a matter of time before his knees go. And then look what happened. He became a really great player for the Portland trailblazers and his knee ended his career. Right. It's not that apparently. So if not, then you've got a guy who's got a really nice arm. Now, He's not the most mobile dude in the world. So for football becoming faster, needing more mobile guys from the quarterback position, he's kind of a throwback quarterback, if you will. He's more of a pocket manager. But I still think that he's got a nice arm. He understands how to attack deep. He's got a mentality for that. And that's a player that I think you at least think about in in somewhere on day two although you know information would tell you if you're drafting a quarterback on day two he's probably not going to be good anyways but that's kind of where i see carson strong
0: yeah obviously the knee is its own issue and you know if you're not if you're not inside the team's medical rooms and have access all of it it's tough to know assuming his knee checks out and teams are happy with it then all you're dealing with quote unquote is a guy that can't really move anymore in a league that that's becoming more and more important so yeah we, you can still be a really good quarterback if that's your style immobile pocket you know immobile pocket passer. like the best quarterback of all time fits that category, right. Tom Brady is still in the league still carving people up right. but you kind of have to be Tom Brady now in order to get away with that right because everybody right. else. like when is the last good quarterback to come into the league that couldn't move? So it's, it's like the problem with saying, yeah, well, Tom Brady's still there. like Yeah, but Tom Brady's been in the league for like 28 who is, years. Who is the, 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 the that's last the thing, right? QB who is good? So that's the more relevant question. Move. It's not like can you still be good if you're Tom Brady because you're Tom Brady. It's like when was the last Tom Brady to come into the NFL and thrive in that style of play because that's what Carson Strong's up against, not can he be Tom Brady. You know, can he, can he buck the trend of the fact that one of those guys hasn't come around for a long time?
1: I'm looking at this list, and I'm trying to think of, like, who. I mean, Mac Jones played well last year, and he can't move.
0: He kind of can, though. Like Mac... So, Mac Jones got a lot of crap for being a, sh- a terrible athlete, but it was relative to, you know, Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence. But, like, Mac Jones ran a 4-7. Teddy Bridgewater. Again, like, Teddy's not the worst athlete in the world. That dude spends half his life, like... Yeah,
1: but he's, like, a pure pocket.
0: Sure, but, like, he's not... He's not, not But, again, like, the difference between a Teddy Bridgewater, and a Mac Jones-caliber athlete, and a Tom Brady-caliber athlete. Like, we're talking about a guy Davis who, Mills. Again, like, Davis Mills can move. Like, we're not... Who's the last statue to, to come along? Well, I, don't, I don't know if there's any that exists. That's what I'm saying.
1: Peyton Manning?
0: That's, like, that's Carson Strong's problem. Is that if he's Matt gonna be... Ryan? If he's yeah, if he's going to be that guy, you got to go back like a decade and a half to find the last one of those that was good. Yeah, that's his issue. That's all I got. Like even it's all I got. Even if you're happy with the knee, it's like when was the last one of those dudes to thrive? Because somebody, somebody,
1: somebody said Big Ben in the chat, but like no, Big, Big Ben Bank is Scoot. Yeah, dude, you go not back. not like last year's Big Ben. No, obviously, like when but...
0: we when we watched. When Big Ben retired, right, and you started to get the you know the highlights of like, hey, remember Big Ben this was guy? also
1: in the same draft class as Eli Manning, which yeah. would have been the better answer, right?
0: Well, you go back, like you watch some of those early Big Ben highlights, you're like, oh, I forgot he could move like that, right? Like, right. This is a different right. player, yes, like, hundred percent. Like we forget what Big Ben looked like early when he was when he was Big Ben.
1: Somebody also says somebody also said Philip Rivers, but Philip Rivers also. Same draft class as Eli Manning. Yeah, I mean, so, like, you, that's you're picking the, Eli Manning for that's going far, back far. That like, part. that's
0: how far back you're going, right? Is he, Whether it's Matt Ryan, whether it's Philip Rivers, like, you're going back before 2010. We are going back more than a decade for the last one of these QBs to come into the league that plays that style and is good. Somebody said Big Ben never scooted. He meandered. <laughs> that's fair. That's probably fair. Big Ben, um, what's the best word do you to describe how he moved? He...
1: Is he's it, like it's like a like an accelerated waddle almost
0: careened he careened. careened yeah he careened from one like impact to the next within the pocket <laughs> like just you know like like uh you know like um the bumper cars right what do you guys call them it's a different name the like the no, they're bumper cars the bumper cars here yeah. okay he was he was somebody human... called them something different i think so like rubber cars yeah, like, you know, the ones with the, the big stick that comes out and wires them into the ceiling. Yeah, the electric, yeah, yeah. Right, like, at right, right, carnivals right. and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's a, a bumper was, cars.
0: Yeah, he was a human bumper car. That was how he maneuvered. Like, just careened from one that's impact fair. to the next. Sure. And then uh, somewhere along the line, pump fake and then heave the ball somewhere. That was how Big Ben
1: moved. People are saying Andrew Luck, and, like, Andrew Luck was a pocket passer, but Andrew it's Luck was team. also an, an athlete. Yes.
0: Like, a real athlete. Yeah. That, I mean, what's the most famous Andrew Luck pass you can
1: think of? It's the one. Something that's something that T.Y. Hilton that's 60 yards down the field. The one of
0: him being like throwing an absolute dime, like a massive big time throw, whilst being like tackled by the ankles out of the pocket, you know, running away. That guy was not, that's not your statue pocket passer. Anyway, the point being, if Carson Strong is going to be good, and I agree or I'm pushing the point that he's underrated, and I think we should be talking about him with the Sam Howells and the Matt Corrales and those guys. Um, the problem he has to deal with is like he plays a style of football that doesn't really exist anymore, and it's not that it can't can't succeed because we know like Tom Brady's still there, Philip Rivers was still playing like fine he, before he went. Can't
1: compare literally anybody to
0: talk. I know, but like Philip Rivers only just left, he Fair. was still playing that way. Like the, Matt Ryan is still capable of good play with that style. The point being though that like you have to go back that far to find the last one of those guys to come in who plays that style. And was good. So, it's just not a big target to be hitting if you're Carson Strong. Somebody said Joe Montana. If we got to go back that far, we're screwed. Also not true. Like, Joe (laughs) Montana, you go back and watch early Montana games, and the thing that they are telling you about is his mobility. Yeah. He can scramble. Yeah. And that was like a miracle. That's what Walsh loved about him, right? Yeah, yeah. That was like... He
1: was just different. That
0: was seen as, like, miraculous at the time. This guy, not only can he do it in the pocket, but he can scramble. Like, he'll make a play outside of the pocket. That was seen as like a big thing. It's actually wild. When you go back into history and you start watching old players or whatever, mm-hmm. how cyclical it is, right? Because like I said, Joe Montana's selling point was his mobility. Now, relative to, you know, Lamar Jackson, it's like a different world. Right, right, right. <laughs> You go back, like the thing that preceded Joe Montana was a bunch of these dudes that couldn't move. And then Joe Montana comes along. It's like, wow, now we need scramblers. We get the Brett Favre's of the world. We get all these guys that can move, make plays outside of structure. And then... Tom Brady, Peyton Manning come in and the next decade is these pocket passers. Now we need these Now we need these guys that will stand tall in the pocket, deliver, you know what I mean? It's like it just goes in these cycles. Yeah. And now we're back to needing, like, again we're, it's a decade since the last one of those dudes. Now you need mobility, otherwise you're not thriving in the NFL. But maybe, maybe we're like, you know, one dude, we're ne- the next Tom Brady away from like everybody's going to be chasing the next immobile statue
1: pocket passer. Can't wait for the Tennessee Titans to Make 13 personnel their base and just run the football again and just beat everybody. <laughs> just draft only offensive linemen. We're going back to it. You mentioned yeah, right? It. It's, it's cyclical. We're going back cyclical. to it. We're going
0: back to it. Always goes in cycles. All right. Anything else you want to hit about this draft class? You want to talk trades?
1: Oh yeah. Um. I I had just if we if we wanted to have this talking point about the top ten. I I really do think that basically every team in the top ten is going to look to move back at yes. some point. Yes, but the, I think but the that, problem
0: with that is it requires teams looking to move up. So yeah, who, who those
1: teams? right, right. And, you know, I look at the New Orleans Saints and what they did with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that was for a purpose. I don't think it was necessarily just to stick at 16 and 19. I think they're looking for a massive trade-up. I'd even heard before that trade went down that there was potential with them having a deal maybe up to, like, 456 with either the New York teams or Carolina uh, to go move up to get an offensive tackle I was told that that was kind of that was maybe there were some there were some talks of that happening so that could still be on there um, if Atlanta is going to draft a wide receiver at 8 for the love of God, trade back. Like, for the love of God, <laughs> trade back. You don't need to draft a wide receiver at eight in this draft class. There are six wide receivers that are all really damn good. You could talk to people who have Garrett Wilson as his wide receiver one. I have Garrett Wilson as my wide receiver five. Like, there's there, you could talk to people who have Traylon Burks at wide receiver one. Like, yeah. all this kinds of stuff. If you're Atlanta... Your roster is bad, mega bad. And mm. What you would want to do mega is, bad. if somebody wants a quarterback specifically behind you, Steelers at 20, I know is the big example, but I don't know anybody. Shoot, even if the Chargers want to get a great, like if the Chargers think that Jordan Davis is their, their answer and they can't leave this draft without him, or maybe it's an offensive tackle for the Chargers. They want to get an offensive tackle, get a young offensive tackle to replace Brian Bulaga and pair him with, uh, with Sean Slater. Trade back to 17 or 20 or something. Go get a first round pick next year. Go impose your will on next year's draft if you're the Atlanta Falcons. And so those are those are some areas that I that I like, some trade backs. I think that the Jets could very easily trade back from number 10. I think that's a really nice point in the draft where you're getting kind of that tail end of the guys that everybody would think would be worth the top 10 selection. Maybe somebody's still there. They drop back not too far. Get some draft capital next year. So, I don't know. Those are just a handful of things that um, that I've had as talking points that I, I believe a lot of teams are going to look to move back in the top 10. I, I mean, I think the, J- the
0: two New York teams in particular should be absolutely open for business to aside from anything else to flipping one of those first round picks the next year, like that's, that's the selling point mm-hmm. for the Jets and the Giants as much as anything. Do you think the Panthers should be trying to trade back from six? Because they picked six. The next pick is until 137, and they need some help. But the one thing you have in your favor, picking six, if you're going the quarterback route, yeah. the one thing
1: is that you probably have your pick. Right. So I wrote an article last week, and it was three trades that I would hate. And one of the trades that I would hate is Carolina moving from six. Because at Backwards. The, moving back from six. And the reason is because you're not really going to do anything for your team for you moving back a couple of spots other than not hitting on an offensive tackle that you desperately need or not hitting on a quarterback that you desperately need. Carolina is were- not in position— to say, nah, we're not going to draft one of Icky Aquanu, Evan Neal, or Charles Cross. We're going to trade back a couple of picks and settle for Trevor Penning. like Or no. so, or, or like Bernard Rain but if it's a or Kenny Green.
0: But if it's a quarterback in this draft where the quarterbacks are not worth the top 10 picks, right? If they're able to trade back and still to grab... what, a, though? But still
1: grab a quarterback. That, sure. But I, I, you're... You're playing a massive risk then at that point. Yeah. it I guess it, it depends where you're trading back. To. And it also depends which quarterback you're moving. But like if at. you're moving from six to. I, I guess I, I just don't know how these quarterbacks are going to go in right. this draft, and I think it is riskier for you to move back as a team that desperately has a quarter. Don't look, getting cute with quarterback is what got you into this situation in the first place. <laughs> you cannot like, you cannot get cute and try to bargain shop for a quarterback. If you need one, if you have one on the board, freaking draft it. It's not going to make a difference if you move back from six to twelve and pick up a third-round pick this year and a third-round pick next year. It's just it's not really going to matter. If you get a second-round pick, I guess maybe you think about it, but especially if you don't think the quarterback's going to be gone. But then how many picks are you—we just said all of these teams could trade back. Seattle could trade back. Yeah. The Jets could trade back. The Washington could trade back. How many of these teams could all trade back with a team that might want a quarterback and then all of a sudden you get jumped and, oops, your guy's gone. Oh, guess we're settling for Kenny Pickett or a guy that we didn't really want or Malik Willis or whatever. That, to me, seems stupid, especially since— it's not going to make that big of a difference for you with Carolina. You have to win. Carolina has to win. Yes, you want to go about the draft the right way, but if Matt Rule, if Carolina starts, if Carolina starts one and five, they're going to fire Matt Rule in week six. They ain't going to waste any time. That's how hot this guy's seat is. Scott Fitter is the exact same way. Now I don't think that his well, I don't I mean, say exact same way. It's not the exact same way. His seat is not as hot as Matt Rule's is, but Scott Fitter has to nail this draft. What's he going to go to David Tepper and say, "Hey, you know, we, uh, you know, I, I know that we 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 missed out on the offensive tackle that we needed, and I, I know we got jumped for a quarterback, but we had the right process." No, they're three years into this thing. David Tepper wants to win, so I think that I I I understand why people would be tempted from a trade down with Carolina because they do not pick until the fourth round, but I don't really see a price where it is worth it for this Carolina team to take control out of their own hands to get an offensive tackle that they can plug and play right away, or a quarterback that they can play right
0: away. I, I guess, to me, one of the um, one of the big things is it's, which quarterback are you interested in, right? Because like I mean, we just ridicule the idea of them taking Kenny Pickett at six, right? If Kenny Pickett is the quarterback that they think is QB1, like if he's the guy, I, I think they're wrong, but if Kenny Pickett is the guy that they think is QB1, they can surely pick him later than 6 right now how how much later right and that's
1: so- the, i i to me i get that scared money money don't make money no risk no biscuit all that kinds of stuff but to me for carolina the risk that it would be that you trade back and all of a sudden that quarterback's not on the board anymore because if they're not right imagine imagine this world where who picks let Let's say the Vikings trade up because they want Evan Neal to draft him to maybe play on the interior and maybe be an offensive tackle later at number six. Right? Okay. Let's just let's just say Vikings trade up. They go back to twelve. Let's say there is this crazy world where Seattle takes Malik Willis at nine. Mm-hmm. The Jets trade back with the Pittsburgh Steelers and they move up and the Pittsburgh Steelers take Kenny Pickett at ten. If you're Carolina and that's in that spot, Matt Rule might as well sell his house. <laughs> Because that's 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 what it comes down to. If yeah. that if that I mean, happens, he might as well put his house on Zillow. Because <laughs> it's just it's, it's, that is what you're talking. And to me, if this is the route they're going to go, which is always the asterisk, and 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 what we have to say when we talk about the conversation, if this is the route they're going to go, to me, it is more worth it sticking at six and picking the guy that you think actually gives you a chance to turn the franchise around or help your franchise a lot more than picking up an extra second round pick. Because, I mean, what's a second-round pick maybe going to do for you? Probably not a ton. But the problem is you have other needs. Like the, I know they as, do, but nothing but, is more glaring agreed. than the two positions that they have to nail that would be available
0: to nail at six. Agreed. But, like, the point is, so you need a quarterback, right? That's the one thing that Carolina has to come away from. But the quarterback also needs a left tackle. Like, the, the, otherwise the quarterback's dead. Right, So right. So if Carolina can but get, you're not both nailing those, both in these draft. This I mean, draft, you might. You could. What if you can go back? Like, what if you can trade from six to nine with Seattle? Like, what if Seattle decides they love Malik Willis, they're going to trade up to six, grab Malik Willis. You can trade back to nine, still get Kenny Pickett, and then Seattle's going to give you one of their second round picks, the forty or forty one or whatever it is to get there. Right? You win that trade, you get to forty. You can pick a tackle of forty. Throw that guy in to start. Okay, he's not as good as the tackle. You could pick at six, but you got your quarterback. So in theory, you still get QB1 on your board. You get a tackle with a second-round pick that you didn't have because you were not picking again until 137. And that's maximizing it because you're taking advantage of the fact that we value Kenny Pickett higher than everybody else. In this I
1: time. don't hate it if it works out that way. right? But I think what I'm saying is the risk for them right outweighs it to me. I see somebody in the chat saying, hey, trade a uh, trade back and go get first rounders next year because then you have capital in a good quarterback draft. Again, if that's the case, fire Matt Rule before the season starts. <laughs> the other because thing, that's what you're doing.
0: The other thing though that I think they I, I think they should be aware of, but I think teams are very bad at being aware of this is there's there's currency in certainty in certain things, right? So Quentin Nelson was worth more than a guard even a good guard prospect because of the degree of certainty of how good he was going to be, right? Everybody, not only were they sure that Quentin Nelson was a really good, was the best guard in that draft, that was going to be really good. It was like, this guy is nailed on to be an absolute star at the next level. And there's there's some kind of value in the the level of certainty of that versus like the next guy who comes along who's the next top guard prospect, right? That The, the, the degree of certainty everyone has of how good he's going to be is worth something. This year, nobody has that for the quarterbacks, right? Even if you like one, nobody is sure that these guys are going to be good. So if you're Carolina and you're like, we think Kenny Pickett's the QB one in this draft. We think he's the guy to be our franchise quarterback. He's the one. He's the long shot that we're taking here, right? We're backed into a corner. All we have is one final long shot to pull pull a miracle out of this and keep everybody in this building for the next five years. Mm -hmm. Kenny Pickett's the guy. You should probably also be aware that the chances you're right on that, given where everybody else is in this QB class, is pretty low, right? And if you try and trade back and maximize the value and still say we trade back to nine, we pick up a tackle in the second round, and we still think there's like an 85% chance we're drafting Kenny Pickett at nine. Something something happens, somebody jumps up to eight, they screw you, right? Okay, so you move to the next guy and there's probably not much of a difference. Because like, Desmond Ritter. People think he's better anyway. So, like, there's probably a bigger chance that you were wrong on Kenny Pickett than there is that he, like, that was your one shot of getting this right.
1: Look, if we're being honest, if if, if I'm Carolina out of everybody in this QB class, like, I'm probably picking an offensive tackle at six and trading for Baker Mayfield, but just seems like they're not going to do that. So, there are so many things with Carolina where I go, hey, here's what I would do. But they're not going to do and that. And I, I, I don't even, I understand why they don't want to trade for Baker Mayfield. Well, the optics of it would will, will, will look terrible. Yes. But how many other quarterbacks in this class would you rather have oh, other than agreed.
0: Baker? Oh, agreed. Agreed 100%. Right. I'm just saying that, like, I understand why they won't do that. And I don't. I, I do disagree because I think I would. I think that's your best bet, but I understand. Like, if especially
1: I'm, because it's a. F- would you like? Would you rather have Malik Willis six or Baker Mayfield for a fifth? Right, and that—that th- that, yeah. right. You that. That's no, I the part it, but I understand. that, I that mean, if you're in, you and
0: you're basically like, oh, I know we, <laughs> like, I know we tried this trick last year and it didn't work. We're going to do
1: it again. So that, you're going to look like idiots. So that's ultimately why you know people talk about Carolina maybe drafting an offensive tackle. I, I think you're. I think Carolina is locked into taking a quarterback at six. You know, when we're talking, like, oh, like, what are we going to do for our mock draft simulations, all this kind of stuff? I think Caroline is absolutely locked into a quarterback yeah. at six because of what you just said. And also, I've said this before, Scott Fitter did a and a with the Carolina Panthers over at panthers.com. He talked about a lot of different things, and he talked about draft needs. And he's like, well, you know, when you look at it, you know, uh, we, we could use an offensive tackle, certainly. He's like, it's going to be a strength in the draft, right? We're picking a six. He's like, also, could you, you know, everybody talks about quarterback. We could definitely use a quarterback. Uh, and he mentioned quarterback second, I think, on purpose. And then he said, "You know, you 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 look at other positions too. He's like, you know, uh, Brian Burns. You know, he's 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 uh, contracts coming up, and and uh, oh, even though you know we want to get pick up the fifth year option and like keep him around, you know, like yeah, you never know with money." He was scrambling, to me, he was scrambling so hard to come up with other things to get people off the trail that they would draft a quarterback. That right. He brought up Brian Burns' <laughs> name. Only way you bring up Brian Burns' name is if you are trying to throw everything at the wall to try to make people think that you're not taking a quarterback. When I read that he said Brian Burns, I'm like, they are taking a quarterback. They are trying. so. He tried so hard to name everything that he possibly could that he brought up the best Player on their team, not named Christian McCaffrey, but Christian McCaffrey's a running back. Okay, I get it. Debates. They, I just like, when he said that name, I was like, oh my God, they're drafting a quarterback. <laughs> he just tried so hard to get us off of his trail and it made it, to me, worse. I think they're drafting a QB. I, yeah,
0: I think they are as well. I, I think they've put themselves in a situation where they don't have an option. Like No, because
1: you cannot go into next year with,
0: exactly. with Sam. So your only alternative is the one we've just said that they're not going to do. It's like, if you're not taking Baker Mayfield... What all you can do is draft a quarterback at six because you don't pick again until one thirty seven. Yeah. So that's your alternative. Like you either make make a move for Baker Mayfield or you say we are drafting a quarterback at six
1: because you can't start Sam Darnold again. Like that would be absurd. There's a lot of there's a lot of this is just i I said it before, but the Carolina Panthers and what they're currently in is going to be the classic case always against bargain shopping a quarterback. You can't do it. You just you, – it just – it so seldomly works out for you. You often have to allocate major resources in either the draft or either in salary cap capital to actually get a quarterback that is worth it for you. It, the, the examples of when bargain shopping for a quarterback work – and when I say bargain shopping for a quarterback, I even sometimes mean picking them in like second and third rounds. Like there's there's a lot of evidence that says if you pick a if you pick a quarterback in the second third round you're basically just wasting a draft pick yeah you're basically just picking a quarterback just to pick a quarterback now there are examples of that that work but there's a lot more examples of that that like these dudes just never became anything yeah so I just I, I always feel like if you have any kind of quarterback need at all I think certainly, don't wait do not wait
0: I think certainly we've reached a stage where like if you are trying if the reclamation project if you're trying to pick up somebody else's reclamation project you better not be planning on starting him, right? Like it, So Daniel Jones is going to be, or Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones is going to be the next one that comes along, right? If Daniel Jones doesn't have a phenomenal year this year and the Giants pick up his fifth-year option and keep him around or whatever, Daniel Jones is going to get dumped, and there's going to be teams out there that will take a look at Daniel Jones and go, mm-hmm, I mean, we, might be able to, we might be able to salvage that. Mitch Trubisky. Sure, but don't start him. Like <laughs> Bring him in and like have him as your backup, And do what the Raiders did with Marcus Mariota. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that works, maybe. Right. Let's reset. Let's have him learn. Like, let's have him undo all of what he picked up over the last four years from the bench, where it doesn't do any harm. Right. And where he gets some practice reps and he's not being under fire the whole time. But if your plan is to, like, pick that guy up... Pick up his fifth year option, throw him out there again, like the like the (laughs) The trade for him,
1: trade for him after he was bad for three straight years. Pick up his fifth year option immediately to screw yourself over. I mean, what was the, um, wasn't it the Nick Foles thing where they signed into a contract because they didn't.
0: How? Oh. Yeah, yeah, they like they gave him more money than they could have because if they didn't give him that volume, it was of money, the Jags, right? It was like it would have looked bad to the locker. Room. It was the Jags,
1: yeah. right? When they when the Jags signed Nick Foles, they gave him way yes. more money than they should have, literally just for optics and emotional yeah, confidence.
0: Yeah. For, they were like it would have looked bad to the locker room if we'd only given him like five million a year, so we gave him more money.
1: I, I listen. There is a human element to all of this stuff. There are are plenty of things that go into this that are much more of the human element and human situations that go into running football teams and making things work and making the locker room work and all that kind of stuff. I fully recognize that. That stuff is hilarious to me. Bringing in a quarterback that you just traded for. like As if Carolina trading for Sam Darnold was already not enough of a vote of confidence. Sam, we are trading for you on your rookie deal. We are going to put you in the best position that you can to go out and have a fantastic year let's freaking do it together let's get you your money next year why the hell would they have signed this fifth year option yeah the same thing with nick Foles. nick we love what you did before we're trading for you we're bringing you in we we think that you can win a ton of football games if you do we're going to incentivize your contract where you're going to make all this kinds of money and all this kind of stuff I don't How see- is that not the standard i mean you can't you know, we, we hear all the time about
0: oh, it's a business and that's why there's been this like ruthless mathematical decision to cut a good player because he's earning a million dollars a year more than you want him to. You can't like act like that and at the same time, like double Nick Foles' salary just because we want the optics to look good to the locker room. Like it's either I mean, okay, I guess you can say, Yes, this is a business and like every business there's some like massively dysfunctional elements in it. Right. But like you can't act like that on the one hand and then just burn money for no reason whatsoever against the salary cap elsewhere. Um, we could talk football draft all, all day, but we can't because the studio belongs to other people. Mm. So we got to get out of here. Um, but thanks very much for standing in for Steve. Trevor Sykema, host of NFL Stock Exchange. Indeed. Go find that wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, we're done here for the week. We will be back on Monday and Steve will be back on Monday, I believe. We'll get a debrief on how his golf went and whatever else ridiculous things they did in Palm <laughs> Springs. Um, But that's it for us for the week. Thanks for listening, and we'll uh, see you next week.